One year ago, we explored the period in Superman history from 1986 to 1993 in our series Crisis Till Death. Now, the podcast returns to the Triangle Era as we survey the post-death and rain landscape in comics, toys, video games, and television. This is Death Till Wedding, a new seven-part epic covering 1993 through 1996. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. This is Death Till Wedding, Part 6. Joining me to discuss the television series, Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, is the host of the Krypton Report podcast and a returning guest. Welcome back, Tyler Patrick. Hey, Anthony. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about this because we've never podcast talked about Lois and Clark in depth. We've always kind of mentioned it. <clears throat> like in passing or anything, but never really dug into anything. Yeah, I'm excited to compare notes. The mission statement for this seven-part run of episodes, of course, our primary focus is that triangle era within the comics between the death and reign and then the eventual wedding. But we have, of course, widened our focus here and there to talk about the Kenner Man of Steel action figure line, the death and return of Superman video game, and now Lois and Clark, which more than, than deserves a spot in this conversation for a variety of reasons. It's certainly yes. most of the show's run uh, fell right in this period of time that we're talking about, 93 to 96. But also, as we've discussed, and as I'm sure a lot of fans are, are well aware, the reason why we got the death of Superman in the first place was that the creative teams were marching toward a wedding and then the word came down, this new show was going to come out that was going to focus on the relationship and eventually marry off the characters. And it was actually DC Comics that wanted to have that synergy and hold off on the wedding until the television show got there. And so the creative teams came up with the death of Superman in its place. So again, this I feel like this event would not be complete if we didn't talk about Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, starring Dean Cain and Terry Hatcher. I agree because I find it... <clears throat> I find it, first of all, I find it fascinating that they want to create this synergy of what's going on in the comics with what's going on in some other medium. That never really seems to work out well. It, it, it never seems to really pay off for anyone. And with that mindset, we'll get into the episodes that we're talking about. And then it, with that mindset, it makes me think, like, well, was in season five of Lois and Clark, he was going to turn into electric Superman because that's where they were going in the comics at the time. <laughs> um they're like, we got to make Dean. Hey, um, you're going to wear this outfit now. And uh, we're things about to get crazy. And I just want to say for the listeners, I have a little bit of a cold going uh, because, you know, in Ohio, it went from 70 degrees for like five days to drop into 30. And like the whole state's like out of like made a run on cold medicine. So, yay, Ohio. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you're under the weather. You sound fine. I'm right there with you. Since our son started preschool this fall, uh, he, my wife, and I have basically been trading off colds over oh, yeah. the course of this fall. So uh, when you're when your kids in that young elementary age, you just buckle down, man. Get ready. Yeah. Um, the fact that's funny. That like, yeah. No. Go ahead. I was like, I just talked to you on Friday evening. I sounded great. <laughs> now it hit me last night, and I was like, crap. Yeah, no, it's very true. And I, you know, I talk off mic, obviously, with all the guests. And like everyone, especially with kids, is going through something similar. So the fact that we've gotten these episodes out is, is a real point of pride. I'm very happy that we, we've gotten here. Uh, but, 
uh, one other, well, actually a couple of things by way of setup. Number one is, uh, I, my wife and I did a run of episodes on my Patreon page at the beginning of this year. We did a four episode event called Steph and Anthony on Lois and Clark where it was fun. It was good. Oh, and I appreciate that. So over the course of four podcast episodes, my wife and I rewatched and discussed the entire first season of Lois and Clark. Now, pending time, <laughs> just having the time to do this, we do intend to return to that Patreon exclusive show and make our way through seasons two through four. So my intention is to get there at some point. It's just a matter of carving out the time. But for anyone who's looking for more of a deep dive, especially into the first season, uh, again, we have four episodes that are available at patreon.com slash Anthony Desiato. So that is out there, again, with the hope to return to that and, and finish the series as well. I'll also say by way of setup was the elephant in the room. Let's just get this out of the way. Uh, Dean Kane. I'm not going to turn this into a, a political discourse, but I will say that for anyone who has followed Dean Kane or heard what he's had to say, especially in recent years, uh, his politics and mine do not align at all. And I will say from my own perspective, it has been disappointing to see the views that he has expressed and the position that he has taken. Uh, and it, it, it's especially disconcerting for someone who played Superman. Of course, you know, he's, they're all actors and this is a job. At the same time, you would hope, especially for those who have played Superman, that that maybe some of the values of the character, you know, <laughs> bled through. All that being said, I, I don't think the right call would be to, you know, omit a discussion of the show, right? So, you know, if there's anyone out there who's like so offended by Dean Cain, you're like, how could you even do an episode on this? Again, I don't feel like the right response is to ignore this, right? So we're going to talk about the show. And I will say, thankfully, so much time, it's, it's so much time has passed between the show and now that I don't know about yourself, but like I was definitely able to watch these episodes and, you know, not think about current events, you know, as I was watching it enough, you know, we're talking decades ago. Right. And there is that, that my buy into the show was at a young age. I grew up with it. So it doesn't really reflect back. And I don't really think about the now because I look at Dean Kane now. Yeah, it's Dean Kane, but I don't feel like I can look at Dean Kane in Superman. I'm like, that's Superman of my childhood. So there's this, it's kind of, I mean, the same thing was been said about distance when I watched Smallville and knowing what Alice and Mac, because I bought into that. I've had a recent experience on the, reverse of that where a certain i won't mention property that i've been viewing and learning about the person who's involved in that the kind of person they really are has put a disdain in my viewing of this because i didn't buy it when i was younger i was in the process of it now so <clears throat> i'm like it's a little bit harder to celebrate the or separate the actor from the work because I'm kind of experiencing at the same time, but with Dean Kane, I can look at it as like, that's the Superman of then this is the character and that's, that's it. You know, I don't have to think about what now is. So, yeah, no, exactly. So this is, this is what we're going to do in this episode. Uh, Tyler and I are both well-versed in the entire series, Lois and Clark. So I think we'll jump around and we'll hit on some big picture ideas with respect to the show. Specifically for this episode, the, the actual homework uh, for this episode of Digging for Kryptonite, it was four episodes uh, from season three, I now pronounce you dot, 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 double jeopardy and seconds. And then from season four, swear to God, this time we're not kidding. So if you know the show, <laughs> we're talking about the, the wedding arc for Lois and Clark and specifically the frog eating clone 
storyline. I'm going to circle back to that in a second. Yes, mm-hmm. you gave us the sound effect, which I appreciate. Um, mm. I also, I, I did revisit a number of other episodes. Uh, I had just, planned to. I had planned to like revisit some more right now before we got here, just to brush up. But I just with time and the and everything and the kids, I because I wanted to go a little bit farther and a little bit back and kind of see a few things because the the what I I, I told you this before is <clears throat> a few years ago when our wife and I first moved into our house before the internet was set up, we had a couple of days that we just kind of started. We just had Lois and Clark on in the background. And we watched through season two and three. And I remember we didn't finish three. And I remember we got to the Wanda Detroit stuff. And that's where we stopped when me and my wife were rewatching it. And I just kind of chuckled. It's like, oh, yeah, that's where we stopped at. Oh, I wonder why. And then I was like, mm, I can. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, so I and then as I was watching this, Solomon asked me, well, how is season four, daddy? And I'm like, ah, he's like, is it not, not good? I'm like, uh, I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't remember. Like, I was like, I haven't watched season four in so long. And I'm like, I just need to sit down and rewatch three and four straight because I, I realize that I don't have as much of that up here because I've seen season one a lot. And that was because for the longest time, that's the only one you could find on DVD. So this, this watch here, I'm like, I'm ready, I think. When I, uh, <clears throat> I'm ready because my other projects on hold, I'm going to, uh, I think dive into this, uh, Lois and Clark and just kind of do see the rest of three and four. Yeah. I, I hope, I think you, you would get a lot out of it. And again, for myself too, I, I, I am looking forward to again, carving out the time and really making my way through seasons two through four, the way I did with season one. So in addition to the four episodes that were officially assigned, I also revisited the Phoenix. That's the episode in season two where uh, Clark actually asks out Lois on a date. Lucky Leon, where they have their first date. And then the last two episodes of season two, Wine, 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 where Lois and Clark officially get together as a couple. Uh, The end, the answer is the season two finale where Clark proposes to Lois. The premiere of season three, we have a lot to talk about where Lois reveals that she has figured out that Clark is Superman. The pivotal, it's a great moment. pivotal a great moment. moment. Yeah, it's a great moment and a turning point for the series. Uh, and then, of course, the four episodes that were uh, that were officially assigned. Now, like I said, I mentioned this frog eating clone arc. And it's funny, I, Im- I would imagine that most of the people listening to the show are probably probably have at least a tangential awareness of what I'm talking about. Many of them probably know exactly what I'm talking about, but there might be some. And I, you know, I was thinking about this. It's like, you know, we're t- it's been a really long time. <laughs> you know, talking mid '90s here, so I don't know. People might not know what I'm talking about at all. There was an arc, and this makes up the bulk of what Tyler and I watched for this episode. But there was this arc in season three where Lois and Clark were to be married, and the twist at the end of the wedding episode is that Lex Luthor, the returned Lex Luthor, has replaced Lois with a clone. And that was part of the the plot of that episode. The, 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 this doctor who was conducting these cloning experiments, and the clones needed to eat frogs uh, to to sustain themselves. So we find out at the end of that episode that Lois has been replaced by a frog eating clone, and the story continues uh, for a number of of episodes to come. Uh, in the immediately following episodes, Lois is able to escape the clutches of Lex 
but is hit by a car and bashes her head, loses her memory, and adopts the persona of, as you mentioned a moment ago, Wanda Detroit, the character in a novel that Lois had secretly been writing (laughs) years earlier. And this Wanda Detroit sees Lex as this Kent character from the novel who she loves. And so she runs off with Lex. Clark is stuck with this clone. The story continued even past where you and I watched for this episode, where even after Lex is dealt with, Lois loses all of her memories. And it takes a couple more episodes before she's back back. This I is, started the one where yeah. <laughs> he's in the hospital with her. And I was like, oh, geez, I forgot about this part. Yeah, I I... I did us, I wanted to do us both a favor and cut that off and just focus really on the Lex on the Lex episodes. But I mean, is it fair to say that is the most notorious storyline and perhaps one that the show never fully recovered from? Oh, I, I definitely say because I told my wife today, like, yeah, I got to brush up and uh, f- just kind of zip through these Lois and Clark episodes to kind of refresh a little bit. And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm like, it's the worst episodes ever. The worst storyline ever. And she's like, oh, and yeah. So, so I, yeah, I do. Yeah. We'll, we'll get, we'll get into it more. Cause I just, I feel I have interesting feelings about this. So there it's, it's tough. It is, it is pretty rough. There's, there are some saving graces. I really enjoy John Shea as Lex in here. And there are some great developments between uh, Lex and Clark and Superman. And that to me was able to redeem this a little bit. But I wanted to share this at the top just to sort of really set the stage and and convey, I guess, what what I felt and what I think a lot of viewers felt. And you in particular will appreciate this because I know, you know, you've shared things that you've been working on for classes and things like that. You'll appreciate this. So back in college, back in my Fordham University days, I took and I took a writing class very early on. I can't remember if this was part of my my journalism major or if this was one of the core requirements. I can't remember, but it was a writing class. And one of the assignments was to write an essay where we renamed something. Mm. And it was very open-ended as far as what it could be that we were renaming. As you know, as the audience knows, I love television. I don't think I've ever mentioned this on this show, but I'm a big Happy Days fan. And any television fan is likely familiar with the phrase, jump the shark. (laughs) Which refers to the moment when a once great television show begins a decline. And it takes its inspiration from it of an infamous episode of Happy Days where Fonzie, clad in his leather jacket <laughs> on water skis, jumps over a shark, literally jumps over a shark. And this has become known as that moment where a great show turns bad. So I wrote this whole essay about how, and, and again, my college days are going back, you know, a, I don't know, a decade at this point. So Lois and Clark was at least a little bit more recent. Uh, now this would feel like a very dated reference. But anyway, I wrote this whole essay about how we should replace Jump the Shark with Eat the Frog. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I feel like it would be great if this could kind of take on some uh, a new life because really eating the, that moment where we see Lois in the bathroom, who we think is the real Lois, right? Getting ready for the their wedding night to consummate their relationship. I want to circle back to that too because I have thoughts. But- uh, you know, we see her getting ready and then all of a sudden she opens up that case and we see that frog come out and she pops it in her mouth and it's just like, oh, this is where we're going. So eat the frog or jump the shark. Either one, I think will serve you well. Uh, I like it because <laughs> uh, even our good, our favorite show, Supernatural, even poked fun at by naming one of their episodes called like jump the shark or jumping the shark or um, 
where they introduce a huge retcon of like what um in season five and then that show went on for another 10 seasons so <laughs> so yeah well speaking um, of speaking of supernatural that sure that show jumped some sharks i mean like they still though they you know they made they jumped the aquarium they did everything on that show but robert singer one of the the longtime producers of Supernatural was the the Lois and Clark showrunner for seasons yeah. two through four. So at the end of all these episodes, executive producer Robert Singer, I'm like, ah, oh, okay. It's, yeah, and uh, I think Phil how Phil Skrigiga, how do you pronounce it? Who would later go on to produce and direct episodes of Supernatural as well, uh, participated in the production of this show as well. Gotcha. So uh, one other thing, because I don't want to forget. Uh, actually two things. So I'm holding up here. The audience can't see this, but I'll show it to you. Uh, cause I, I've, I've neglected to mention this in the other episodes we've done so far. I actually have a stash. I have a stack of the, uh, official DC comics, uh, wedding invitations, uh, for the Lois and Clark wedding. I wish I could remember how I came upon these. I feel like it was through my old comic shop, alternate realities at whether, the owner had them stashed away somewhere and then said, here, you can have them. Or someone gave them. I can't, someone else gave them to me. I can't remember, but it is, you know, a, like a legit wedding invitation, but for Lois and Clark. So it has the Superman emblem uh, on the cover and then you flip it open and it says Superman, the wedding album, you know, the, the name of the one shot comic where they yep. actually get married. We're going to talk about that next week. It says a 96 page spectacular created specifically or especially for the occasion and then uh, on the main part of the invitation, it says the family of DC Comics invites you to share its joy at the wedding of Lois Lane to Clark Kent. We get another Superman logo, October 1996. And then on the back, we once again have the Superman logo and the, the wedding album. So I just wanted to share that I have a stack of these, uh, which I'm very happy to have. And I also realized something. So my wife and I, we were married on October 8th. 2016, but October 8th. So this episode of Lo or the episode of Lois and Clark, swear to God, this time we're not kidding, where they actually get married, aired October 6th, 1996. And the wedding album, I believe, came out that week. I think it was October 7th. So I it's just I had never realized this, but it it's I I like the fact that my wife and I are we can't we don't share the exact date, but real, real, real close to Lois and Clark. You're, you're, you're there. You're 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 hanging out. Um, I need to get one of those invites like over here invite for one, please. Yes. I'll, I'll happily send you one. I do. I do have a few. I don't have like, I don't know, like a hundred if people start asking me, but I do. I do, I do have a He's few. like, we're going to, we're going to clip this out, <laughs> but no, that's cool. I, uh, I like the wedding issue. I might have to pull that out and reread it. It's, it's been a while. I bought it not too long ago. I found a nice pristine, original print of it i bought i have it on the shelf i i you know i don't own it anymore i did get rid of it but it is one of the things that we talk about in the next episode which i've actually already recorded i'm recording these a little bit out of order obviously so i i oh, having well. <laughs> having recently reread it i can say it really holds up great and you know people will hear our conversation next week but what was so cool about it was to see you know i, I i've talked about this a lot how i really feel like the supporting cast in the triangle era and all of those subplots with those supporting characters that was the magic of that period and yes it, in the wedding album you see every like everyone who's been part of these books post-crisis like everyone comes together and you have interactions like you know bibbo and dan turpin it's like you know interactions that you wouldn't normally have 
and it's it's beautiful to reread. I really think you would enjoy it. The thing that I wanted to say in relation to to Lois and Clark is I give the creative teams of the comics a lot of credit for really playing the wedding straight, right? Because when you go back and you reread that wedding album, you know, there's there's one, then this is where Clark is powerless because of the final night and he's lost his powers. But, uh, you know, he tries to stop a mugging at one point and Batman has to help him. But for the most part, it's relatively, not relative, I mean, it's exceedingly light on on action. It's really all about the characters and the preparation for the wedding. And the wedding As goes- As it should be. The wedding goes off- smoothly you know they re- and and especially after everything that had been going on in the comics at the time there you know it was a, a lot of big events and i really appreciated that they just let these characters get married and they really focused on the interpersonal relationships contrast mean- that with lois and clark <laughs> the new adventures of superman <laughs> i was about to say you mean where they didn't at the end there's a page that you it was like the last page and it was and i was like it says happily married and then you turned over to the last like right before you close it and, there, and then all of a sudden there's Lois like <laughs> locked in a basement saying, Clark, help me. And you're like, oh, no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about that because. Um, yeah. Well, so let me ask you first before we will get into the 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 wedding episodes in particular of Lois and Clark. But let me just ask you big picture. Did a couple of questions. Did you watch Lois and Clark when it was originally on? And, and, and just generally speaking, I mean, what are your impressions of, of the show overall and the arc of the show, right? Because obviously it changes in season two, they embark upon this, this romantic relationship in season three, she knows the identity in season four, they're married. So the show remains consistent throughout, but definitely there are definitely different eras to the show. So I'm just curious, you know, did you watch it when it first came out? How have your impressions changed? And just what's your overall take on the show and the different, the different permutations of it? <clears throat> Well, I did watch it when it first came out, and I didn't watch it every Sunday because the battle in our house became Lois and Clark was on at the same time as Sequest DSV. My mom really liked watching Sequest. So it either became we I'd go upstairs or whatever and watch it in another room, or you know, we'd go back and forth. And eventually Sequest got canceled and we started watching Lois Clark. <clears throat> but of course, as a child, on I think it was Sunday nights when it first started and everything. And, you know, it was just, you don't have control of the TV, you know? So there was a lot of gaps and misses in there. Cause I watched it as much as I could and I, w- I enjoyed it. It was Superman. You know, that was, it was, there's always something exciting about the now Superman. Um, I would just say this, that I was watching Lois and Clark and my daughter makes the comment. Like, I don't like that Superman. And I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, I don't like that Superman. I'm like, okay. And then uh, I mentioned, you know, Henry Cavill. And she's like, I like that Superman. So there's always a thing about like the now that imprint that imprints on you, even <clears throat> when you have past references. Cause you know, as kids growing up, we had of course the Chris films and everything. Um, but this was every week. So this was, I wouldn't say my Superman because I feel like, with the character, there's like my Superman for different times, but that's a whole other conversation. But it was definitely like the Superman growing up being that was on, and I enjoyed it. And, you know, the playfulness, because it's looking back at this show and watching it, it doesn't feel dated, but it does feel like a simpler time at the same moment. Like it's almost like comfort food, like you put on, like it's just like feel good. Even the drama feels like kind of 
this feel good um, drama. And, you know, I liked the approach was more of a focus on Clark and, you know, that this Dean is the first representation of the post crisis Clark in live action. And looking at that, it definitely shows the, that adjustment of the portrayal and everything. And it was focused on these two characters and their relationship. And I think it actually helped with the dynamic of Lois finding out who Superman is. And it was a different take. And it was, you know, like you said, each season, something changed, which is needed. Um, And in some ways I feel like it started declining. Um, And it can contrast to something like Superboy where it starts rough. And then as you go along, it gets a little bit better. Um, not saying it's great, but it, it gets better towards the latter seasons where I feel like Lois and Clark started to get a little rough. And it is about the frog era where you really start to feel that. Um, but I'm glad that they didn't play the will they, won't they for too long. You know, this first season's really about them figuring themselves out. She's got Lex and, <clears throat> you know, they have the Superman dynamic and all this. And then they get into season two where they start to try to, you know, amp it up to make her more interested in Clark as a person compared to just being infatuated with Superman, which has always been kind of an issue I had with the the Chris films. Um, and I just, I think it really worked. And we'll kind of hit on a few more things as we get into it, but I definitely enjoy the show and what it did. And it's a, uh, just a, it's kind of, it has that bright funness to it with a little cheese but not too much. It's also, you know, a product of its time. Like there's supposedly a picture somewhere of on the back Warner brothers, lot of Dean Kane playing basketball with George Clooney at the time. So it was, it was Superman playing basketball with Batman (laughs) at the time. Um, I, I think that'd be interesting. Well, that's funny. Cause I think, uh, I've heard stories, right? Jaleel White has talked about playing basketball with George Clooney, right? When they were doing Family Matters and Clooney was doing ER and I guess Dean Cain doing this show. So yeah, you know, uh, basketball fans. I I, I am on board with everything you said. I I, I concur with that. Um, mm-hmm. I'll share a little bit about my experience. And I know I, I talked about this when we did the Patreon show, so I don't want to re- rehash it, but just quickly, I did watch... I would say a substantial amount of this as it originally aired, but I was really little, you know, if this aired what 93 to 97. So, you know, I'm six to 10. So I'm a really little kid watching this. I do have I'm just two years adjusted. So yeah, I was 12 when it ended. So gotcha. So like, I definitely have memories, but what really cemented the show for me, there was a stretch. Uh, I want to say when I was in like eighth grade, where uh, it was airing in syndication on TNT. And this was before DVDs and everything, but I remember watching watching it in syndication. And I think it's that that time where it really cemented more in my brain. Like yourself, I don't you know, I don't immediately gravitate towards this version. I think I was probably just a little too young, but I really do appreciate. I was thinking about this in the 90s. Yes, you had the last couple seasons of Superboy, but I really look at that as more of a 80s, 80s thing. You know, yeah, the that was the last couple seasons of that. 
but really in the 90s, you don't have any big screen representation of the character. You have the Steel movie, which we have a lot of love for over on this podcast, but it's still not Superman. Uh, we almost had the Nick Cage, Tim Burton movie, but it didn't come to pass. So for the 90s, outside of the comics, you had Lois and Clark and you had Superman, the animated series, and both carry the torch in, in their own way, very different ways, but but fascinating, uh, you know, respectively. And the thing that I, I really appreciate about Lois and Clark and having rewatched all of the first season and the, the selection of episodes for, the, for this one, the legend always has to be reinterpreted, right? We have to find a new angle to it. I know sometimes fans bristle at that, especially when we're talking about the movies. Clearly, there's a very specific version of the character that everyone, not everyone, but some people really need to see or they have an issue. I feel like on television, though, you do get a little bit more flexibility. And, you know, we could even go back to the George Reeves show, but but keeping it more in, in the modern era, working our way backwards, you know, with Superman and Lois now, we have this family drama where not only are he and Lois married, but they have a family. You see him as a father. Yep. yep. Previously, and, you know, everyone knows Smallville is my favorite. We spent 10 years with, the you know, a Superman-to-be, right? This young Clark Kent trying to figure it out, this, this teen drama, effectively. And prior to that, we had Lois and Clark, which, you know, again, updated the George Reeves show because, you know, we had the Daily Planet as a primary setting. And a lot of the stories, I mean, virtually all the stories were driven by the case or the story that Lois and Clark were working on that week. But this time you had, it was a, essentially a romantic comedy, you know, in, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And it really drilled down on that relationship between the two of them in a way that no other show has really done since. I mean, yes, Smallville by the end <clears throat> certainly got into and, you know, very well, you know, developed it very well, the, the romance between Clark and Lois, but it was still a different tone and it was very deep into the series. I mean, this was a show built around the relationship. We haven't had that before or since. And yes, it's campy. And, you know, I think the Superman action parts of the show are probably the weakest part. But when you really focus on the Lois and Clark of it, it's very, it's strong. I really do yes. stand by it. Oh, I, I agree. Um, it's always felt <clears throat> like you say. It's it's a TV budget, you know. It's in the '90s because there's always things you're like, well, why did he use this power? And I've always said to myself, it's interesting to me. What I find so fascinating is that Superman has become a, sh- a character that lives better on TV compared to Batman. Like Batman just seems like it's built for the detective angle TV drama. And Superman's built for the film spectacle, but it just seems like they've done the opposite as far as their successes. You know, we've had how many Superman series and we've only had two arguably Batman style series. Um, You know, it's just, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very true. Let's take a quick commercial break and then we will continue. We'll be right back. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina, for people of all ages and walks of life. Since 1983, this nine-time Eisner Award nominee uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material available. They pride themselves on their significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection. Mail-order subscriptions to new releases are available, 
and all offerings are available to anyone, anywhere, via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Film lovers and filmmakers should check out this family of film festivals, Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. I was fortunate enough to have my work shown at these festivals, and I found them to be very enjoyable and well-run events. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals generally, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news and updates about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, be sure to listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and currently under new ownership, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany the next time you're in the Garden State, and be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Flat Squirrel Productions is an affiliate of BCW Supplies. The next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP, that's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions, to save 10% on your order, and it helps support the show. Thank you. All Yeah Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join All Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit AllYeahComics.com and follow All Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Aw, yeah. And we're back. So I guess one last big picture question before we get more specific with the the relationship as depicted on the show and the wedding episodes in particular. So, you know, you hear a lot when you're talking about television about the moonlighting curse, right? And I've actually never seen moonlighting with uh, uh, Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepard, but essentially this idea that for so much of that show, it was built around the romantic tension between the two of them. They weren't together. And when they eventually got together, the argument goes that the show lost its spark, the ratings declined, and it ended. And so, you know, you've seen this argument used as, you know, as a reason why, you know, character, like will they, won't they characters shouldn't get together because once it does, again, just the tension is relieved and you lose what made the show special. That's the argument. That means you built your show just on that and you didn't build anything else that made people interested. Fair, very fair point. So I guess my question is, you know, do you feel like Lois and Clark falls into the category of a show that succumbed to the moonlighting curse? Like does the show for, for, you know, for you personally, does it work the same or even better once Lois knows the secret and they get together? Or do you look at those first two seasons when she didn't know and there was more of that tension as as the stronger part of the show? Where do you land on that? <clears throat> I'm going to say that I like the Lois knowing um, that it, it builds a stronger and it definitely helps the characters evolve. I do need to completely rewatch the back half in a full because I feel that sometimes the writing suffered on the latter half and they could have like, we're going to talk more about here. Um, 
they could have done more and better in the writing of certain situations that made that the Lois and Clark are together stronger. Uh, Because I feel like with will they won't they type thing, you have to decide what you're going to do and don't stretch it out. Like in friends, they always had the Ross and Rachel thing that at the end, I'm like, I Ross and Rachel are better off not together. Like I'm not rooting for them after they like had their big split up. I'm like, I'm not rooting for them to get back together at all. Um, You know, it's been argued about the whole in the office when Jim and Pam got together. I thought that was some of the best stuff. Especially I actually liked the last season where they're actually having problems. Like I felt that was more relatable to couples who, you know, come together, they're perfect, but then just life starts to pull them apart. And where do they do? And I think that's important for these characters because with a character like Superman, we see so often how things are stopped with character growth. You know, Superman has allowed to progress and be married, um, have a family, and there's been, you know, things changed in there. But so many of these characters are stuck or they won't let them grow. That I think with this show, it allows you to let the character grow. And I I like Lois knowing because it's fun a little bit, you know, the she doesn't know what's going on. But then you have the argument of how good of a reporter is she? Why can't she tell? And with her knowing sooner, it helps with that. So, <clears throat> yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I do appreciate that the show did change. I think they they mind as much as they could with each iteration as, as possible. I, I really do feel that because especially but you know, in the first season, a lot of a lot of the dynamic is that Lois is infatuated with Superman and really doesn't see Clark as a viable romantic interest. And yes, like you said, Lex is in the mix as well. And, you know, one of the things I talked about this on the Patreon show, it, it, it was so, it was so interesting to watch. It breaks your heart, but it also, I felt like it rang true in, in light of season one as a whole. Uh, and it's funny, it hasn't even been that long since I rewatched it, but I don't remember all the specifics, but essentially, you know, at the end of season one where Lex has proposed and to Lois and Lois is considering this and I, and I, Clark has this big moment where he puts his heart on the line, right? As Clark and tells Lois how he feels. And she's like, oh, you know, I love you as a friend. And then if I, yeah, it's like, yeah, there you go. You're friend zoned. It's, it's awful. Everybody's been there. And then uh, I think she makes an appeal to Superman or Superman, you know, tries to talk to her. There's a, a moment between them and, and Lois says something to Superman that just breaks your heart where she's like, you know, even if you didn't have your powers, like I would still be interested in you. And of course for Superman, for Clark, it's just like twisting the knife because it's like, well, I presented you a scenario <laughs> with a version of me without powers and you weren't interested. So, you know, season one is, is, is really interesting as you see the chemistry, you see the sparks, they're always kind of teasing each other. Uh, you're definitely seeing it more from Clark's view toward Lois. And, and we do have kind of that like classic triangle. You're right mm-hmm. in season two, and and I think this was it this needed to happen where you really see initially the friendship and then the romance between the two of them really develop. But by the end of season two, it's become a source of frustration for Lois and perhaps even the audience as well, that Clark is always making these BS excuses at very key moments, right? Like anytime they're about to have a heart to heart, he'll hear something with his super hearing and be like, oh, I forgot I have a barber, you know, I have an appointment with my barber. Oh, I have a dentist appointment. 
So I think that could only continue for so long. So I think her finding out when she did, I, I think that was the right time. And, and it, it opened up, look, we could, I could, you know, I always bring it back to Smallville, but I, I would argue every relationship on Smallville got more interesting when the character found out the secret. Right. Especially like in Smallville, I always love that, you know, sometimes he didn't get a chance to tell someone they discovered it. Um, and those were always really great scenes. We could go down that rabbit hole, but you're right. Um, you know, having the choice that they did with man of steel where Lois was kind of in on it from the beginning was a great choice to do something different that worked, that really helped cement the relationship in a different way without doing the, will they, won't they, does she know? Cause I feel like Lois and Clark did a really great job with that. And it's the best version of building the friendship, building the relationship and you know, him struggling with being a, a man in love with a woman who at the time is not yet there for him. It, it was more relatable for us as an audience. And even now looking back and, <clears throat> but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that calls to mind. There's a, there's a great moment between Lex and Superman in one of the episodes we, we, we watched where Lex is, is saying to Superman, like, uh, you know, with, with your powers and the experiences you've had, like, how could you know what the human heart is like and what it's like to love? And it's like, and, you know, of course, ironically, you know, he knows better than, certainly better than Lex and, and better than anyone because he does live as a man, right? And that is, to your point, right, this is firmly the John Byrne iteration of the character where Clark is who he is. Superman is what he can do. I also think, too, going back to, sort of these tent poles in our fandom and the things that shape the way we see the character, as I've talked about at, at great length, I grew up with the <clears> triangle <throat> era comics, but I, you know, it did also grow up with Lois and Clark. And, and even if I was really just a little kid at the time, or maybe because I was a little kid at the time that I, I do think this show in a lot of ways did inform the way I look at the character and how, again, it really is Clark first. Now, look, a suspension of disbelief is always required with all of this. I think with the show in particular, the notion that Lois wouldn't be able to figure this out. I mean, you know, Dean Cain was not, I, I like him in the role. I really like him as Clark. I like him well enough as Superman. I, I, you know, I don't know that anyone would necessarily argue he was really, uh, you know, really differentiating the characters to such a degree where it would be so believable that Lois couldn't put it together, <laughs> you know? Uh, so, you know, it, that gets a little bit, a little bit wonky, especially in that first season, uh, and, and, and even into the second, but, you know, so this is an instance where here probably more than, um, than in other places, you really have to suspend your disbelief. Cause it's like, even going back to yes. the George Reeves show, you know, it became a bit, a running gag on the show where Lois was convinced that Clark was Superman. It was like teasing him about it and, and, you know, trying to figure it out. And it's like, at least that acknowledged it, you know, with Lois and Clark, it's like, she was like, just like really in the dark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I was, I always thought that Dean kind of existed in a similar vein of Clark that like George did where there's not a huge dynamic change between his Superman and his Clark um, in look or mannerisms. There's a little bit, but like I always say, it's like Clark's casual, Superman's professional. It's kind of like, you know, how, how you behave. It's not 
the you know the Chris version is very much a physical transformation in a lot of different ways, and then some of the others are more like casual attitude, and then more professional stern attitude um, is is the difference. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I think that, well, it's funny too because in uh, the season three premiere, uh, well, so at the end of season two, of course, we have this famous moment, the proposal scene where Lois and Clark are walking and they're by the fountain and they're going to have, they're starting to have this heart to heart and it starts to pour. This is one of my favorite moments where Lois is like, oh, do you want to go? And Clark says, if the, if the earth opened up at my feet, I wouldn't move until I said what I needed to say. That's one of my favorite. Superman moments from anything, even from a little kid that always stood with me that even if, even if the earth opened up at my feet and it's like, yes, he has the powers, but it's like, it, you know what? It wouldn't matter. Even if he were just a human man, you know, you get the sense like he's not budging from that spot until he finally says what he needs to say. Uh, and then, you know, of course he proposes and Lois, we have the cliffhanger. And then when we pick up in season three, Lois has the famous line where she says, who's asking as she pulls off his glasses, Clark or Superman. And after I couldn't the, remember if that was at the end of two or if that was the, the way three started. Okay. So this is a funny little tidbit. So at the end of season two, she says Clark and then it freezes and it says to be continued. Right. Uh, and then when we see it again at the beginning of season three, they give us the whole scene again. It's not just like all previously on, like they just play the scene. Uh, but this time when he says, will you marry me? She doesn't say Clark. She just launches right into who's asking Clark or Superman. And then after the opening credits, uh, we see them taking shelter from the rain. And uh, he makes a joke about, oh, is it the new glasses? And I'm thinking to myself, I was really paying attention to the glasses, especially in season three. You know, <laughs> just again, as far as differentiating the characters, they could have given him you know, a pretty, uh, you know, uh, like a, a, a bigger, bolder pair of glasses that like really kind of changed the look of his face or something. They gave, <laughs> especially as we get deeper into the season with episodes that we watched, it's like, they're like so, like the frames are so thin, like they're very stylish. It's like what you would wear if <clears throat> you didn't really want to wear glasses. <laughs> you yes. Just, you didn't want them to distract too much. Like I've, before I had LASIK, I've been there. I know, I know what goes into selecting glasses. But it's like, if you were trying to disguise yourself, I don't think that's what it would be. Nope. Not at all. That's the ones where you're like, I'm just wearing glasses, but I'm still cool. This is the 90s before, you know, when glasses weren't cool. Yeah, that's, so, I know that is true. I know we are going back. Uh, I gotta a, be hip. A good bit here. I know. Uh, what was your, again, I know we're building towards the wedding, but I, I think just the, the, the big picture uh, discussion is. <laughs> is worth having and and is, is interesting. And certainly I've been excited to talk about all of this. Um, Cause again, you know, like my wife and I talked about season one, but the series as a whole, I haven't yet on this podcast or otherwise, like really had the opportunity to like really dissect it with someone. So I'm, I'm very excited to do this. Um, the, the, the proposal, I guess. Uh, and again, I know maybe it's been a while since you've, you've seen that, that scene, but just, did you ever feel like we got to the, to the step of a proposal a little bit too fast or did you feel like, no, this was on track for what we've seen on the show? I think it's perfect for Clark because I think it's the perfect where he feels they are in the relationship, but it's perfect for th season three drama for Lois to reconcile that they've had this relationship, but he's kept this part from her and how she feels about 
now knowing, you know, cause it's always, there's always that point where you're like, I need to tell somebody something, but it's already been so much time. But if I wait any longer, it's even harder to tell them, like I should have told them sooner, but you never quite knew when the right time was. And I think that's his, that's his, you know, conundrum. So I feel like from Clark's point of view, it's perfect. And it's also perfectly paced when you look at the, the, the series line going four seasons. Cause it's right there in the middle. Um, but I think from Lois's perspective, it's too soon because she's not caught up with him where the relationship actually is because a whole huge part of him, he's kind of kept to the side, but I love that you can, you can see from his perspective why, because he says, I wanted you to love me for me and not because I'm Superman. I think that's the a great argument for it. And I think historically I've always looked at it as way too fast, but I think, I think you, you made it make sense for me. And that lines up with sort of the experience that I had rewatching it now. Cause a couple of things in, uh, at the end of season two, and I, I think it was the finale actually, uh, we, uh, and the answer is the season two finale uh, at the beginning of that episode, Clark is pr- practicing how he's going to tell Lois. He's looking at a photo of them and he's sort of going through different versions of telling her that he's Superman. So, because I think one of the problems I've always had with the comics and the show is that he proposes before she knows who he really is. And and I agree with you. I mean, I, like it, you can make the argument and he does make the argument that he needed to know first if she wanted to marry Clark, not Superman. I guess just, you know, now having gone through the process of proposing to someone and getting married, it's like, I can't, I couldn't imagine going in that order sort of thing, especially since they were already in a relationship at that point. Like, I mean, I, I could see he needed to know that she wanted to be with him generally, right? Uh, the step of proposing first, I don't know. But again, in fairness, in the show, he was going to tell her first and then they got sidetracked because the uh, uh, we had the villain of the week uh, at the end of season two who's actually working with Nigel, uh, Lex's former guy, uh, had figured out that Clark is Superman. They had Tempest's uh, journal, right, yep. the time traveler. And uh, they they used that as leverage, right? And forced Clark to steal uh, from this jewelry store. And then they eventually kidnapped Jonathan and Martha. Uh, so it was a very, you know, it was a, a, a very, the stakes were really high uh, in that one in particular. And so he gets sidetracked and he doesn't have the opportunity to tell her. And over the course of that episode, uh, he, you know, Clark eventually tells Lois what's going on with this black, he doesn't, explain the the reason or what's behind the blackmail, but he tells her, and this is the truth at this point that his parents have been taken and that he's been forced to, you know, uh, go along with the directions he's been given. And Lois, the the next order from the bad guy is to, is for Superman, Clark Superman to kill Lois. And Lois does the incredibly selfless thing of offering to have Superman freeze her, mimicking the effects of death such that Clark can get his parents back. Too bad he didn't have that clone then. <laughs> clone would have come in real handy then. But I, you know, in rewatching this, because I guess I've always come at it from the perspective of like, an A, how could you propose without telling her first? Um, but we have arguments for that. But B, it just like they had only just officially gotten together. Because there was a lot in season two where where uh, we had Mason Drake, the the attorney who had an interest in Clark, not Superman. Which I think is a great character that I love to see come back in comics or like a new film or a new show. Uh, she's side story. 
I have a list of characters that I want to write a story with both Superman and Batman that are all these characters created for different properties, like TV or whatever, and how they would interact in a world together compared without the main character being the focus. Uh, and Mason Drake was one. Oh, that's very cool. I like that. Yeah, I want to I want to come back to to Mason, and then also in season two we had the character of Dan Scardino, who was a government agent who was interested in Lois, and so there was a lot of back and forth. So like Lois and Clark only just got together at the end of the season, and I always looked at it as like, man, he's really jumping the gun by proposing. But of course, you know they have had two years of working together and spending a lot of time. But it was in rewatching that finale, especially from Clark's perspective, where Lois, she doesn't even know the full picture here, but it's enough to her, for her, that Clark's parents are in danger and Clark's in a tough spot. She's willing to risk her life for them. And so in the context of that, the fact that Clark was like, I'm going to, I want to, I want to take this step with her. It really did make sense to me. And, you know, in, in the beginning of season three, uh, you know, Lois does talk about how it's too fast and she has a lot to process. So I do think the show acknowledged that and made it work. So I think some, that was one thing that as a kid, I, I was always like, man, like this, I, I don't know if I like this. But watching it now, I, I think it played out well. Yeah, I I, I agree. I'm like <clears throat> you're dealing with two characters looking at two things from different point of view, and it, it works. I mean, we could keep going, but yeah, it, it worked well. And and I do think that um, again, I I you know I feel like Clark should have told her first, but again, he intended to. But I think it needed to play out this way because I think you needed to have. I think it is one of the most iconic moments, maybe even the most iconic of the entire show, the who's asking Clark or Superman. I mean, that's such a, if you're looking at 10 pole moments from that show, that's up there for sure. So I think it, you know, it gives us this incredible moment, but to what you were saying earlier, you need to let Lois figure it out. Right. Yeah. I think you have to like, that was one of the things in the comics where he, you know, he, he tells her after they're engaged and I feel like this was a little bit of a retcon. I feel like later on in the triangle era, they played it more as like, oh, she always, like she had figured it out or a part of her always knew. But I don't feel like that was necessarily the way it was presented at the time. I, I don't know. But uh, I, I really like that she she figured it out and she beat him to the punch. He wanted to tell her, but she got there first. I, again, just sort of keeping them on on equal footing as they're moving forward. I think kind of like the right in call. Smallville, how she finds out and she's piecing it together, and then Clark's still trying to like make excuses, and she's like, "Sure, yeah, Clark, go ahead." <laughs> and he, she doesn't want to say, "Hey, I know." She wants him to tell her, and he's trying to get the you know the nerve to tell her. Um, so. It's always been one of the most interesting parts of, and I always told Jania, like if I was Superman, I was going to tell you, I would just like be holding you and just slowly start flying into the air. Like if you're going to tell someone, Hey, I have superpowers, show them, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Demonstrate that, you know, or if you're like, I'm going to be like, Hey, I'm Spider-Man, show up as Spider-Man, do some Spider-Man stuff, then rip the mask off. You know what I'm saying? Don't go as regular Peter Parker like I'm Spider-Man. Yeah, like, you know, in The Amazing Spider-Man, when he goes to tell Gwen, she goes to walk away and he webs her over to him. That's a perfect way of saying it without saying it. Uh, yeah. Well, or even like Superman and Lois, right? Where he takes her to the farm to meet Martha and then he's, he's you know, he floats up. Uh, yeah, I like that demonstration. It's It's interesting, too, this whole idea of proposing first versus revealing the secret first. 
Because especially on television, you know, again, Superman and Lois via flashback showed that he revealed his secret to her first, right? Before they took the next step. And even, even on Smallville, you know, of course, before he proposed to Lois, he proposed to Lana in the, in the timeline that was later undone. But in the 100th episode, Reckoning, you know, it begins with him taking Lana to the fortress, revealing he's an alien, and then proposing to her, uh, which, and look, he was an 18-year-old kid at this point, but uh, I never, that always felt like way too much to put on somebody <laughs> That's why, I mean, we can speculate that in Superman and Lois, you know, he reveals who he is at the farm. And then it's later at the actual fortress that he proposes. So we can always suspect. And even if you go to the other Earth, um, <laughs> she knows he's Superman and he proposes in the fortress and they've been together for a while. So <clears throat> there's been time like he he's doing it right. Yeah. Uh, again, look with, on Smallville, Clark and Lana, that was never meant to be. So maybe this no. is just an example of that, but, uh, yeah, it was just always, always kind of crazy to me. It's like, this is an awful lot for this girl to process. And then you're throwing a marriage proposal on top of it. But I did appreciate that he wanted to be honest first before proposing. It's just, again, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me just as I'm fascinated by the fact that Lois and Clark on the television show do not consummate their relationship until after they're married. It's season it is season four by the time these two actually get it on. I laugh about it because I feel like at that time, like the way Clark's like, you know, his parents are like old fashioned, like he was raised old fashioned like that, that it would, I would believe it from Clark at that time. Like, gotta wait, gotta wait. Because there's even the joke in uh, when he thinks that they're married, they're like, uh, we've been waiting for this. Like, you're 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 tired. Uh, what? <laughs> like, um, but I, I, I chuckle because I can see it um, actually being kind of a Clark thing. Like, especially that error. Like, I, I can see it. Yeah. Look, in fairness. Uh, look, even today, some, some people wait, look, you know, everyone, you know, to each their own uh, and right. We're going back decades here and Clark is more old fashioned. I think it makes sense. We didn't rewatch this, but there was an episode. It was, I think it was the virtual reality episode where Lois and Clark, they have a conversation about this and Clark reveals he's a virgin and Lois is not, but they make this decision to wait. And I think like when they're in the VR world, they come close to <laughs> consummating it, but they don't. But, uh, but like they did actually have a conversation about it. It's just, I don't know. It's interesting. Like there is something very, you know, very, I don't know. On the one hand, it's like very quaint and it's, it's sweet the way it plays out. And uh, it's, what's crazy is that uh, the last episode we watched is I think the third episode of season four. It's after the whole new Krypton arc um, where they finally get married and swear to God, this time we're not kidding. The next episode, uh, they decide to not even wait until they get to Hawaii for their honeymoon. They start to consummate the relationship when HG Wells shows up and reveals that a curse has been placed on them. And so they have to travel through time to break the curse before they can have sex. And then that episode ends with them, with them finally beginning. And it's not until the episode after that, <laughs> that we see the aftermath of them having consummated the relationship. And they basically spent like two weeks just in Clark's apartment. They never made it to Hawaii. 
Um, it's just, again, I don't know. It's, I guess it's just cr crazy to me that we had them get together. We had them, her learn the secret. We had them get engaged. We had them get, like there were so many, so many milestones. And, and part of, you know what? This is the last thing I'll say on this note. But I, part of me wonders, we talk about like the moonlighting curse and, and like the tension. Maybe that allowed them to still maintain <laughs> some Intention. level of tension. Because like there was still something <laughs> that they hadn't, that they were building towards, I guess. I don't know. And then I wonder, I haven't. Or really, it was just funny. Like, ah, <laughs> we're going to keep it waking weight. Yeah, I guess. And then it's like, I haven't rewatched season four again in many, many years. I actually would be curious. Like, I wonder if after that, maybe it, it lost a little step because now we had, we had, it was like the last thing that, that they, they had an experience. I don't know, but uh, it's just fascinating watching that now, especially you know, through, you know, modern adult eyes. It's like, like really? Like they really waited. Yeah. You, you, you had to, Superman had to be like, yes, be a role model for all those kids out there. So they're like, you're going to wait. boy. That's well, what ABC said. You're going to wait. <laughs> Yeah. And look, I, I don't say this to be, uh, you know, a, a salacious or crass or anything like that, but at the, you know, I don't know, I don't think I'll ever do a, you know, sex of Superman episode. So I feel like <laughs> this is the opportunity to talk about it. You look at the Christopher Reeve movies and, you know, uh, especially if we're looking at, especially if you're looking at the theatrical version where he has to give up his powers in order to have sex, it seems pretty like a pre pretty reasonable conclusion. He's never had it before. Right. Yes. Um, on this show, he's presented as a virgin. In the comics, the comics are interesting. I mean, you might know, or listeners, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't. I don't think this was ever even addressed pre-crisis. I can't imagine that it would I, have been. I don't think so. You know, now post-crisis is interesting because they they're never explicit about it. But during the reign of the Superman storyline, when the black-suited Superman reemerges and he's trying to convince Lois that he's the real Clark. He starts to say that rainy night in July when we first, and then she, she cuts him off. I feel like that was meant, I feel like that was as far as they were allowed to go. But I think the implication is pretty clear that they had been together in that way during their courtship. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, certainly in Man of Steel, you know, you know, he and uh, Lois were having an adult relationship together. Well, and even if we go to Superman Returns, well, I guess though that just goes back to the, the Christopher Reeve, uh, you know, continuity and all of that. Uh, and then I guess Smallville is probably one of one of the biggest departures where he actually has a sexual relationship with Lana, you know, in, in his younger days. So I don't know. It's just kind of interesting. In most iterations, it's not even addressed. And when it is addressed, you know, more often than not, it's it's really just like he's an adult, like a fully grown adult and it's Lois. Uh, but you do get the various uh, variations of it. Interesting to me. It is interesting because it's one of those things like you're, how do you... And Smallville had the best kind of <clears throat> way of looking at it and discussing, you know, he, he has to control his powers. He's got to learn this. Like he's taking a huge risk. Um, what do you do? Can he be normal? Like, as like, it's even more for him. Cause then you have that whole thing where Lana has power for a little bit and everything. So yeah, yeah it's, it's a, uh, it's a very interesting. And then like, you know, we have the joke in Supergirl or during the crisis where they're on uh, Argo city and Clark doesn't have his powers. So him and Lois are taking advantage of that. <laughs> 
We'll, <laughs> we'll leave it at that. <clears throat> yeah, I, I don't know. I've never, I've never liked that whole, you know, like the whole mall rats thing. Like he, you know, he he, he can't be with a, a human. I, you know, what's funny too is I don't, I don't think I know on Lois and Clark they addressed whether or not they could have children, and the answer was that they couldn't, I believe, and that leads us to the series finale, but which we could get we could talk more about. But to my knowledge, I don't think they ever talked about whether or not they could have, like he could have sex with her. I, I, you know, they talked about waiting, but I don't think they ever got into that. I could be wrong. Yeah. I don't, I don't think so either. I feel like that's too much info for a show on ABC in the nineties. That's more towards families. Yes, it's true. I know it was, it was, uh, it's very family friendly. However, on this note, and, and this ties into the, sh- the series as a whole, we did get cat grant in season one. <laughs> I wasn't going there, but yes, we did get very, very scandalous cat grant, but, uh, you know, I think ultimately, uh, the show, to whatever extent you feel the show works, I think it works because of the chemistry between Dean Kane and Terry Hatcher. And especially now rewatching it, I feel like, again, the most they can do on screen is kiss, but I feel like they really went, they went for it in a way that you don't often see. I mean, it's not, it's not like you see them, you know, I, I won't yeah. get too descriptive, but like still, I they feel make like you feel the passion. They really do. Right. Yeah, you can feel like you feel it the connection between the two, and it, you know, I will say it was always it was kind of a bummer that they didn't have any type of a scene together when they both appeared in Supergirl season two, like or that they weren't able, but both having been on Supergirl, they weren't able to reprise their roles during the crisis at some way. Like I thought the whole death of Superman scene would have been great if it was them two would have just been a nice kind of like, Oh wow. That's, you know, kind of idea of where that <clears throat> story went. Um, but yeah, uh, they have great chemistry and that's, that's your buy-in. If you don't believe the relationship, like between these two people, um, it's kind of like, I go back. I love the TV series of flash. Okay. But I swear that there's better chemistry between grant and, Patty from season two, Grant and Supergirl, and even the actress that plays his daughter, just as a as actors, has a better chemistry than him and Iris. Yeah. So I'm just I'm like that's a if you're gonna sell me on a relationship, I have to believe these people are actually connected. It, yes. No, I agree. I agree with you on, on the flash, especially with Patty. I remember when she came on and it was like, Oh, okay. Like I totally, I totally get this. And in, and as much as I like the character, I mean, I don't watch the show anymore, but as much as I enjoy the character of Iris in her, in her own right and in her own stories, the two of them together. Yeah. I, I never necessarily felt that heat. It's really funny. Cause my wife and I just finished watching the OC I, my second time, her first time. And so much of that show is built around uh, the, you know, Ben McKenzie and Misha Barton, Ryan and Marissa. And it's not that they don't have chemistry, but it's funny because over the course of the show, both of them have other love interests, but with Ryan in particular, every time they pair him up with someone else, it just crackles in a way that it doesn't like with, with Marissa, it's always this, you know, very heavy angsty sort of thing. And like with everyone else, there's more fun banter and better back and forth. And it's just, it's so much more fun to watch. So yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, I, again, it's, it's just sort of like that indescribable thing, but again, 
clearly with Dean Cain and Terry Hatcher, you had that, like the show would not work without it. And what was cool too, especially going back and rewatching some of the earlier ones that I did before the wedding stuff, when, you know, they, they're preparing for their dates and they're, you know, they have the montages of both of them, you know, trying on different outfits and stuff like that. And uh, when they're on their date, they go to dinner for like four hours because it's, you know, they they meet at eight. It's like midnight by the time, uh, you know, they're, they're finishing up dessert. And you get to see a different side of Lois in particular, right, in that. And there's this real sweetness and like innocence to her that, you know, is not often there when she has to have the the harder exterior when she's at the Daily Planet and everything. And, and you know, so to see those those different layers to both of them, but especially Lois, um, it was great. I Like I really... Look, I don't want to, I don't want to oversell this and like hold Lois and Clark up as this ultimate masterpiece in the Superman canon, but it it earns its spot, man, more than earns its, its spot. It's it's great because it mines the relationship of Lois and Clark, why they're this power couple, how they the courtship, the friendship, you know, <clears throat> the fact that the relationship starts as this fr- uh, kind of business friendship and builds is a good example of just how to build real relationships in life with people, you know, because, <clears throat> you know, Jania and I started as friends and then migrated from there. So like it started on a very strong foundation and here we are married 12 years, just about. So that's beautiful. And that my, same with my wife and I, like we started as friends and it, it developed from there and I, it's a beautiful thing. And, and yeah, so I think that's another reason why I identify with this. And my wife and I also met at work. So there was a lot that, uh, you know, I, I think I identify and can appreciate even more so. Now you said something that I wanted to bring up and I'm glad you brought it up about crisis, the television crisis event, because uh, I know you're the perfect person to talk to because I know you're a big proponent of like developing your own head cannon. Yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I mentioned before the series finale of Lois and Clark. And for anyone who doesn't remember, uh, and, you know, spoiler alert, <laughs> it's been over 25 years. But, uh, you know, it ends with Lois and Clark, you know, unable to conceive a child. That was part of the, you know, the final batch of episodes, as, as I recall. But they find a child in their living room, uh, an infant left for them. And, you know, as the story goes, the producers, you know, were planning on a fifth season. And I think one had even been ordered and then ABC changed their mind. And one of the writers or producers later gave an interview explaining what the intention was that that child was going to be Kryptonian royalty that had been entrusted to the care of Lois and Clark and was going to age rapidly. So that seemed to be where the story was going. I mean, just watching it. Yeah. You don't know all of a sudden they're just gifted with this child. And then the series ends. I'm, I've gone on record. I'm not going to belabor the point. I was, I was, uh, I had issues with the, uh, the return of Tom Welling's Clark in crisis. I didn't like the way it was handled in large part because I felt like it undid what was a very satisfying end for the character. Now, counterpoint, I'm with you, man. If we had just gotten a, a Dean Kane Terry Hatcher appearance as, as Lois and Clark to just put some kind of button on this, like that's the thing with the Clark of Smallville. His story, you know, they had ten seasons. They planned for an ending. They ended it great. With Lois and Clark, it was four seasons and cut short on a cliffhanger. So I felt like, man, this would have been a really special opportunity to just put a little bow. And you know what I was thinking? You'll again for headcanon. I think you'll you'll appreciate this. The idea that I had is maybe as as the Arrowverse characters are you know bouncing between realities, they see a young Superman and assume he's Clark. And maybe they address him as such. And he's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm John. Like Clark's my dad. And then you just like a brief moment of 
Dean Cain and Terry Hatcher as his, something like that. And it's like, oh, like that's, that's where they ended up. Yeah. Such a missed opportunity. Oh, I agree. I agree. Or like, um, the Chris Kent storyline kind of pulled from that. The, you know, the comic that Jeff Johns and Richard Donner did that, you know, was after Lois and Clark, but a lot of people have in their mind. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Think, yeah, I agree because you just leave these characters like, where do they go? Um, and it would been some, it would been nice to have something that kind of this is what happened, like, this was their eventual um moment. So, alas, I think that, um, judging by the way Supergirl very unceremoniously did away with Dean Cain's character off screen. Part of me can't help but wonder if this was a product of his politics, you know, uh, cause I, I think, that's, yeah. you know, we'll just say, yeah, because you know, I, yeah, that's, that show got very liberal and political and that's kind of where they decided to take that show. Um, so I could see where they wouldn't want him to be there. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's, it seems pretty clear. That's why he never returned on Supergirl, but again, you know, Crisis was pretty deep into the Arrow versus Run, so I, I wonder if that you know maybe that had something to do with him not not being there. Uh, but I agree with you; it was always kind of curious that they didn't find some excuse for for Dean Cain and Terry Hatcher in that season of Supergirl that they were both in together to share a scene. And you know, Dean Cain and Terry Hatcher they've done interviews together, so it doesn't seem like it's a matter of oh bad blood between them or anything like that. I mean, in very recent years at conventions, they've done interviews. They talked about having ideas for a revival of Lois and Clark. I mean, clearly nothing has materialized, but uh, something that they at least talked about. I mean, it just, <clears throat> it's a bummer because, could you know, even if it was one of those openings during crisis where we saw uh, you could have had Lois and Clark with a, you know, we never, a child or a teenager, you know, like, in the apartment for breakfast and you just saw the red light, you know, um, go by just to kind of see like, that's where life went and just something to be like, Oh my gosh. You know, I mean, I could do the whole scene right here is like, they're sitting there at breakfast. Teenager comes down. There's like Clark, hears something. He stands up, does the shirt rip and then the light hits. And then you like, as it passes over, it cuts to another planet where, you know, something's going on. <clears throat> Yeah. So no, that would that would have been awesome, man. But anyway, you know, we've touched a lot on sort of the overall arc of the show. So much more. You know, I know there's the Lois and Clark podcast out there. They rewatch, you know, every episode of the show. I mean, you know, again, my wife and I are doing our thing on Patreon. You know, there's a lot you can you can sort of dive into here. But it's it's hard to just jump into a relationship that's a pinnacle moment without having some sort of, you know, background tapestry of what they are and who they are um, to really get into. Absolutely. And I, I, I liked what you were saying before about the character of Mason Drake from season two and how maybe there's an opportunity to do something with her in the comics. I, you know, especially in season two of the show, I think you needed as much as you had Lex in the first season, you know, vying for Lois. I think it was important to give each of them viable romantic interests in season two, to, you know, to keep things interesting. And with Mason in particular, uh, and, you know, the, sadly, the actress passed away uh, very recently, uh, which is sad to hear that. But uh, what was cool about Mason was she, 
wanted nothing to do with Superman, right? But was very interested in Clark, which was, of course, the flip on the way Lois started in the show. So it, you know, it, it put a spin on that. And actually in that episode, Lucky Leon, where Clark and Lois have their first date earlier in the episode, you know, Mason uh, is out to lunch with Clark and he gets called away and it breaks your heart as he's leaving or right after he's left, she goes, I love you. Like she, you know, she wanted to, you know, wanted to have more of a relationship with him uh, and, and never had the opportunity because later in that episode, as Clark and Lois are sharing really like their first real kiss um, on the streets, uh, you know, their earlier, they had their earlier date. Lois got scared because she, you know, her feelings were too intense. And, you know, now they've sort of come back around and they have this kiss on the street. And uh, we cut back and forth between the kiss and Mason getting into her car and we see a bomb tick down and we, we, we lock into slow motion and uh, Lois and Clark are kissing and he hears it and he turns and he leaves Lois just standing there like dazed, just awash in the glow of this kiss that they've had. And, uh, and he races to try to get Mason, but he can't get to her before the car explodes. And he's, he's cradling her dying body and his shirt we see was ripped in the explosion. And she looks and she was like, Oh, that's what you've been hiding. And she dies in his arms. It's a, it's heartbreaking. I'm, I'm getting chills as I'm describing it. It's a heartbreaking moment. It's a, it was a great episode. Um, <clears throat> it is. And then I don't know if you remember this, cause I had forgotten this, that Lana Lang actually appears in like one episode of Lois and Clark. Isn't it one, isn't it like a, like an alternate reality type thing? And she's engaged just, to Clark and she's like really mean. I don't remember because I just remember watching it and then like, oh my gosh, Lana. And then having a discussion like years later and like, oh yeah, Lana was in Lois and Clark in like one episode and was like, what happened? I was like, I don't remember. Cause we were, it was when we were bringing up our discussion uh, right before Superman and Lois about the different versions of Lana Lang that had been live action. And that was one that we were like, oh yeah, there was this one, one off. So. Yeah. So in any event, you know, we've talked about how Clark proposes, Lois reveals she knows the secret. They have to take some time. Uh, ultimately, there's an, the Ultra Woman episode where Lois gets powers. And then uh, it's in that episode where she ultimately accepts the, uh, the, the proposal. And then we get to these, these four episodes uh, that, that we watched. And, you know, it's, <laughs> I'm actually, I'm glad we've had the discussion we have had because what we're going to talk about now, it's, it's not the best of the series. And I don't it's, feel it's, it's not, not representative of what the whole show was. What I, what kills me about this? <clears throat> Why do this? Okay. If you are trying to align with the, now I can't remember if there was anything that altered in publication that they pushed the wedding out. But even then, if you look at it, why are you holding this off instead of just mar like building up the marriage? Why not do something that's a little bit more dramatic, um, personal, you know, because this kind of reminds me of, um, the X-Men cartoon. Like I've never really talked about much, but Cyclops was my favorite member of the X-Men. And then they did that whole wedding between him and Jean, but she was a clone. That was, it was a plant from Mr. Sinister, you know, and then he finds out later and everything. And that's kind of 
you know, what happens here is like, why, why are you prolonging this? It's not like that they were going to do this. And then they had the death of Superman happen. Then like this show started after the death, you know, the, the thing was they were built into the wedding in the comics, but then you're like, well, dang, like you took your time. Um, <clears throat> because, you know, Superman died. And then this show came out the next year, you know, and he had already come back through the rain and everything. So then you got four more years. So you actually got him married. Like, it's just one of those really weird where they place this and what the death and all that. And, um, with the stories, it, it feels more like this would be something you would do. Like, Hey, we're going to do this death of Superman thing and hold off on the wedding. Okay. But that's not what happened. And this is where I understand dramatic tension and wanting to build things that, but eventually you get to a point where you're like, either give it to me or I'm done. And this just very felt like we need to throw a curveball. We need to hold off on something. We need to really do something. But then at the same time, if you're trying to do this story as a writer, you should have waited. Like, first, like you should have drug it out to where we get like six episodes, seven down the line, and we find out she's a clone and she doesn't know she's a clone. Like a real kind of like, Blade Runner type of thing, you know, um, where something happens and she starts dematerializing or something. And then we have this, she doesn't realize she's a clone. And then Clark finds out she's a clone. And then you have this dramatic tension of him like, oh my God, I've been living with a clone. Where's my real love? And, you know, we're going to be jumping all around these, these three that kind of connect. I'm glad that they didn't drag it out because the way they did it in the sense that Clark, I mean, cause she acted differently. So he immediately picked up on like, this isn't Lois. I'm glad we didn't do that where he doesn't realize it's her. Then she comes back. And like, How do you know? It's not me. Smallville's bizarro. Um, so I'm glad they didn't drag that out. Cause that always would look bad on Clark. Um, I do think it's weird. First of all, the whole frog thing with them having to eat the frog, not something where they could have been like, Oh, we have a serum made from these frogs that we take. And then later you get the, you see the desperation in the clone that they actually eat the frog. Like that would have been something to see like the de-evolution, the de-evolution of the, of the clones as they start just eating the frogs because they can't make the serum or something. Um, Cause I feel like just eat like just flat out. Like we have to eat these frogs is really cheesy. Um, But yeah, it's like this, in comics, I feel like this works, but this is one of those things of when you transfer to the other medium, that's just a little too much to make it seem cheesy in live action. Like there's that thin line between comic book and like comic book adaptations of where that can go wonky. Um, but it's like they felt like they were stalling for what, and then they throw in another curveball, and it's fast. I mean, um. I don't want to get too far into this rant here. <laughs> no, listen, man, you hit the nail on the head because that was essentially the frustration that <clears throat> I had with it. And I, even, even the first time I watched this as an even younger kid, I, this stood out. 
Uh, it's funny because you know my parents and I used to watch the show together, and I was talking to my mom yesterday. I was like, "Oh, I'm like I'm rewatching Lois and Clark." I'm like, "Do you remember when Lois ate the frog?" And she's like, "Oh, that was terrible." <laughs> like, it really makes an impression. And you know, I went into this with an open mind. I'm like, "All right, maybe I'll find something to enjoy." And again, I think the Lex parts of it, some of them, I I, I was able to find seeing, some redeeming value. Seeing John Shea, who's kind of the forgotten great Lex, um, was was a blessing. Was was nice. And what else I found interesting was if this isn't like an end of a season cliffhanger or even a mid season finale that we would expect, like in modern, you know, ways that they pace the the stories where like this would be like, you know, the mid season and we come back. This was just an episode in February. (laughs) Yeah. Well, speaking of that, so I, I was comparing the show to the comics in terms of air date and release date. So the same week that this episode aired, I now pronounce you where we get the twist that Lois is a clone and Lois and Clark aren't actually married. It was the same day that the issue of Action Comics with the engagement ring on the cover came out Oh, okay. when Lois and Clark break up. Now, but you hit the nail on the head because I had the same thought. I was like, what? What? Like, what was the, what was the objective here? If the show had to follow the comics, then okay, right? Like, let's say the creative teams of the comics were breaking them up and the show was like, all right, we'll do this. But it was the other way around, right? The the comics were following the show. So within the context of the series, I I don't know. I mean, I get wanting to create obstacles for the couple, but I agree if you had done something more personal, if you had actually had them break up, I mean, if they had done something along the lines of what the the creative teams in the comics ended up doing where, (laughs) because, you know, the show obviously dealt with the fact that, you know, Clark had hid this from her and and was a lot for Lois to process, but you know, they maybe could have had them break up over the fact that Superman always gets in the way. He's always called away when, you know, they're about to have an important moment, whatever. Like if you wanted to delay the wedding for some reason, or, you know, like I said, I feel like we got to the step of a proposal really quickly. You know, you didn't necessarily need to have a wedding 16 episodes later, so it's, I don't know, it was such a weird thing. I guess they wanted the the pop of a wedding episode, but they didn't want to pull the trigger yet, but it's just so, so contrived. And look, as, you know, as lighting up as we were talking about, you know, what if it had been a few episodes before we and Clark figured out that Lois was the clone? The Spider-Man clone saga fan of me loves that. I feel like that would have pushed the audience over the edge though. I think that there was already enough backlash over this, but yeah. You would you would have done it differently. You know, you would have you wouldn't have really she would have been a clone in like mine and everything. So you wouldn't have known, you know, unless <clears throat> until she started having issues, you know. Um, but it could have been a more interesting because they they thrust this clone at the beginning. The story like is very we get like the most stupid, dumb uh, clerk selling these pets. Like, oh yeah, they use these in special, uh, special uh, assignments for medicines. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. They, the store was robbed, but you know they took these special frogs. And you're just like, okay, like this guy looked like a goober. Um, and we have like this out of nowhere, Doctor Mamba. Who's played by white man Tony Curtis? Yeah, like he doesn't sound like a mamba to me. But and then we had you know the the storyline so just save the president who's you know Fred Willard right rest rest in peace 
Um, but I could never take him serious in anything. Um, <clears throat> so it just was like very goofy for an episode that's building up to their wedding. Like if it was, if this really was the wedding episode, it would have been very, I would have been very disappointed because I would almost pitch the wedding episode to be a very insular episode. Maybe even one where it all takes place in the church. Maybe we do some cutaways or some things happen, you know, like they're getting ready. Clark has to zip off and zip back, you know, and it's very, you know, uh, the wedding goes off and, um, like you said, just why not have them get married? This, this whole frog clone seems like it almost felt like it'd be the thing that you would do. You filmed it and like, Oh crap, we, you have to go back. We can't do this. So you go back and, and film an insert shot of Lois at the mirror and you tack it on at the end and air it and then like go on with it because you realize you couldn't do it. But I've never read anything or found anything that would put that in there. Cause then in the next episode, we have this clone story and Lois, and then very forcefully we learn that. Lois is writing this novel from Perry and Jimmy. And then like 20 minutes later, she's hitting the head and she thinks she's Wanda Detroit, her novel character. And I think that was worse than the clone. Okay. Yes. So, so a couple of things. One, I agree with you. I think if they had done this as a bottle episode where it's the core cast in one location, uh, I think that could have been really special. And, and again, going back to my, my, my favorable view toward the wedding album comic, it was that it did break with the formula. Like that's the thing. You don't need to have your typical formula for every single, like every now and then <laughs> you could do something different. And I think if they had just played it straight for this, it would have been really special. It would have been something to go back as like a happy moment, even because even the wedding was they did get worried. We'll get there, but I'm okay with the stakes being personal of just, I'm getting married as a man who sat there with his dad, with his friends and was talking about what he's about to do with his life and knowing in my, in myself that I was prepared and I love this woman. That's enough stakes and personal that touches a lot of people. Like I don't, you know, he's Superman. Yes. That he could go off and do this, but there's also great tension in him sitting there about to do this, hearing something and then like the, uh, hearing that the police are like a minute away or the fire department's almost there or like listening and then rationally, like he doesn't have to go. He can stay here. And then just with the way the characters of the parents work of mom, pa on Lois and Clark, you can have great, you know, drama of him there with them. And they're like, son, the world can wait for a moment. Take this for you. You give so much of yourself to everyone it's okay to take this moment and then him kind of you get saying like but if i don't do this could happen and his dad's like there will always be tragedy son you have to enjoy the goodness that life gives you when you can um that's much better than anything that they tried to do with this wedding episode that you can't watch and enjoy it just feels like a wash and we'll get to the other one in a second. No, it's true. I mean, I, look, I love, you know, I love the Kents generally and I love them on this, this series. And in the, the fake wedding episode, 
uh, you know, Jonathan straightens Clark's tie and he has this line about, you know, I haven't done this since you were a little boy. And, you know, you can argue it's understated and less is more, but it's like, I, I wanted, I wanted a speech from Jonathan to Clark, you know, like I wanted more of those moments. And especially in the context of this episode, I would have gladly sacrificed the Dr. Mamba, Fred Willard stuff for more of that. I just like, there was an opportunity to do this and they didn't take it. But uh, I also want to say, just going back to the beginning of season three, real quick, there's a beautiful, beautiful scene where Martha shows up at Lois's apartment after Lois has figured out the secret and they have this heart to heart. And Martha talks about how all these years, like you're the first woman I've been able to talk to about my son, honestly. It breaks your heart. It's such a, it's such a great moment. And then one other thing, jumping ahead a little bit, in one of the episodes where Clark is looking for the real Lois, um, uh, and you know we're dealing with the, the clone and all that, there's a moment where uh, Martha's going to talk to the clone and Jonathan says, Clark, why don't we take a walk? And you don't see the walk. And yeah. it's just like, oh, like that's, I wanted to go there. But, but anyway, the bigger. Is that th- some of the joy of this series is you have the Kents and how they, you know, are, you know, imprinting on their son, even as an adult, how he still looks to them. And especially you have the juxtaposition of the Kents happily married couple, the Lanes divorced. And you have Clark coming from this solid family unit. Lois coming from this and that that doubt of can we make this work together? Um, that th- those are good stakes for me, for characters that I've invested you know a long time in that I actually genuinely care about. The wedding, like I'm okay with toning it down and making it very personal. Um, I know that's the thing. It's like, I wish they had had more faith in their characters and what they had built and their audience, right? That we would want to see that. Um, did you watch Friday Night Lights? The no, show, the but show? I probably should have because I hear so many references to it and I'm not a football person, so, but sometimes sports dramas I do like, but yeah, I didn't watch it. Okay. So it's one of my all-time favorite shows. I genuinely all believe right, it's one. I'll of, go watch it. I believe it's one of the greatest shows of all time. I am not a football or sport guy. Sport guy. I can't even say it like, <laughs> <laughs> normally. I don't follow sports at all. I used to be into basketball when I was a kid, but I, not in a long time. Anyway, uh, you don't need to be. It's a beautiful show. This is a brief tangent, but it's it's relevant. So I don't want to spoil. I won't spoil much. Although the show is very old at this point, but. Um, season two is, is probably the weak part of Friday Night Lights. Uh, it was a little bit of a choppy season. And in particular, there's a very notorious storyline where one, there are two teen characters, a guy and a girl, and uh, he kills someone else who is attacking the girl. So he kills someone, one of our core characters kills someone else in defense of of, of his friend. And... It's one of these storylines where there were so many outs, right? You know, they could have just gone to the police after this happened, right? I think, you know, putting on my lawyer hat, we have a very good argument for acting in defense of of another, right? And it could have, the story then could just could have been more about how the community reacted to this, how they dealt with the the, the emotional fallout and the the morality of it. But instead, we embarked on the storyline where they hide the body and they try to keep it all a secret. There are multiple points along the way. The kid's dad is the sheriff. And at one point in the season, he tells his dad, the sheriff, and you feel like, okay, now like we'll sort of get the the legality squared away and we can move on. But no, the dad goes along with the cover up too. 
it was the point is at every step along the way in this season, I've thought about this season a lot. It's just like <laughs> you kept prolonging a problematic story. And that brings me back to this frog eating clone thing, because in rewatching it, you know, yeah, you get the pop of, of the, the twist at the end of the, that first episode. And then in the next episode, you know, pretty deep into the episode, Lois breaks free from Lex and she's trying to get to super. And I feel like if they had just reconnected at that point, yes, I feel like the Wanda Detroit of it all is where the whole thing, to whatever extent it was kind of holding together, it all falls apart at that point. And it's just it's, utterly it's ridiculous. A- it's a double crapper. Like if they had gotten back together and then like, like we're trying to settle down to maybe like I was being held by Lex and they had this Lex, they had to get over it. And then like you build up to where they're finally settled. And then the one Detroit thing happened. It would have been better, but I, ha- I hate the one Detroit thing. I hate it because first of all, it happens during this clone crisis. So it's already double layer. Like even me just trying to explain to Jania and Solomon what was going on, I felt stupid talking. Um, if the Wanda Detroit book had been something maybe in season one or season two that we heard that she had been working on a novel and this a, a character name or something had been built up, and then we like she had talked about she was working on a novel, and then we find out that this is it. Cool. But the fact the episode opens with Jimmy and Perry discovering this novel and then Lois is hit on the head and that's the first thing that comes to her mind. It feels very forced. It feels very, you know, Chekhov's gun. Like we set this up, we're paying it off. Um, <clears throat> so it didn't feel really organic. And then like the the whole like who she is as Wanda and it's how it gets layered with Lex coming in and trying to lie that he's Kent the man she loves. Um, it just, her character of Wanda is very noir. Very, you know, um, it just, it was too much coming from the episode before. It's om- It felt more that they had this plan to do a clone saga and then later to do this memory thing. And they're like, nope, just throw it together. We got to get this done. And then when they get it done, they don't marry the characters. They wait. And they just they drag on that now Lois just has memory loss. And I I always hate the like memory loss type way of stopping. You know, it just seemed like too melodramatic. And then you just you like three things that you have in shows where they threw them all at the same time. Yeah, no, exactly. And so, you know, again, the, we didn't watch the last two parts of this arc, uh, you know, mercifully. But yeah, in the next one, uh, after what we watched, she's at a rehabilitation center and then the doctor is nefarious and is trying to steal her away. And then the last episode, she's back at the Daily Planet, but still doesn't have her memories. And I think there's an electricity powered bad guy or something. And the like the electricity ultimately jolts her memory at the end of that. That's how electricity works. Yeah. But so again, it's like these, it's a five episode arc. It's kind of infuriating. And, um, with Wanda Detroit in particular, the, I mean, one saving grace maybe is that it leads to live action debut of Bibbo Babowski. Right. And I was going to bring that up. I was like, oh yeah, the first Bibbo. And he wasn't that great. He was not. I, you know, it's funny because when it started and we see her go to the Ace of Clubs, I'm like, oh my God, like I forgot freaking Bibbo's in this. And then I'm watching, I'm like, yeah, right. I mean, the the animated series version was vastly better. <laughs> my, the best part is when Clark goes there and he's looking for information 
And they're like, all right, buddy. And they start punching him. He's like, guys, <laughs> guys. And he's standing there and he's like trying to like take it and like, uh, uh, okay. And then he's like, come on. Like that was, that was the best part about it. But just yeah, the, uh, the Wanda Detroit was just, it was too much. If it had been something fun where, you know, then Clark like reads through her book real fast, like and he knows the story she's written. So then he uses, you know, it's just like, because then you still have the clone Lois floating around in the background. Yeah. You know, and then she goes to and finds out that she's going to die in like a week from Lex. And then um, can you please explain to me? Because I feel like I missed something. Who was the guy who came from the newspapers and was selling Lex a gun? A deatomizing because that was just one of the most awkward scenes. He just pops up and he's like, Yeah, so and like Lex is buying this. I, I almost expected Lex to just use it on the guy to test it, you know, when the guy didn't take his money. Like it was just a very campy scene. And John Shea is playing it so straight, even these absurd lines, he's grounding it, like his performance is grounding this material. But then when he shows up at mom pause and he's got the, you know, they could have easily had made it so much better of just he's using the ray on Superman and the clone jumps in the way and takes it. Superman. Look, this is what I'm, I know I'm going on a tangent here. Dude, you got heat vision. <laughs> like so many things happen that I'm just like heat vision. Like he's laying there. Lex and he's like, oh, he could have been like. Blew the gun up in Lex's hands. So many things. I'm like, you have heat vision. You have super breath. Well, no, I'm pointing it the other way. Like, I listen. I'm with you, and I know. I know. Maybe this is we have to suspend disbelief, or it's nitpicky. But it's. I think they're fair. It always bothers me when, yeah, where Superman in particular seems to forget all of these powers. Um. Again, not to derail us, but the most recent season of Superman and Lois, which I enjoyed overall, but we're dealing with the Allie Alston parasite character. And I remember in one of those later episodes where it's like, you know, he gets close enough where she can use her powers on him. It's like, dude, like you can like either go too fast before she can even see you use your super breath. Like you have all of these abilities at your disposal. And I, there it's especially egregious because we're dealing with a pretty seasoned Superman it's like, have you not figured out some strategy at this point? Some, some combo moves. Like heat vision, heat vision, uppercut, breath, freeze, heat, hot, cold, boom. You know, like. it's Look, I don't, again, I really don't <laughs> get us back to Lois and Clark. But, you know, Zack Snyder's Justice League, when Superman shows up in that battle with Steppenwolf, it's like, as far as Superman action goes, it is one of my all-time favorite scenes. I feel like it's Superman fully realized. It's like he's using everything at his disposal and he's you know, he prevails. It's, it's fantastic. But anyway, um, yeah, with the guy from the military who sells Lex the stuff, I, I didn't double check the credits. I think maybe that was some sort of stunt casting of some sort. Maybe that was someone from the nineties who like, we should have known who that was. And maybe we would have known at the time. It just, it felt so out of place. Like, cause it just feels like this has been something that Lex had, or he had built, like I would have bought that better. Like he, I stole it back from Lex or, or whatever. Uh, it is at the time compared to because Dr. Mamba worked for him and he had to go to the lab and can we get okay <laughs> I will say as stupid as this and it brings up a really interesting talk debate 
So he Lex loves Lois. Okay. But Lois right now thinks that she's won to Detroit. So what does he love? Her physical being? Because her personality and mind is not the same woman. But they want to hide from Clark. So they grew two clones of other people that they're going to transfer their minds into so they can be together. So it's not going to be the physical Lois. It's not Terry Hatcher, not her body. It's a blonde lady. But the mind he's putting in is someone who thinks she's won to Detroit. So who is he actually in love with? Like, this, he's, it's almost like he's creating a whole new person. Like he's building a body for the Wanda personality. So I, I don't understand this plot because it's not like he's taking the woman he loves mind, like who loves him and putting it in a new body. Cause then that gets into the debate of who we are, our mental state, our physical state, our, you know, the sum of all of our experiences. And does that make who we are, our personality, our soul, all that. And then this, he's, what is he doing? Like he, cause he obviously he wants Lois for himself, but that's not even really Lois mind, body or soul. It feels more like you're just pissing off Clark, like to the ultimate extreme here. So I felt like that was another step too far in this jumbled of every sci-fi trope we can throw at it. Um, if they had been, you know, where Lex transfers his mind into a new body could have been cool because then you have, we won't have John Shea anymore, but it's like the ultimate escape for Lex because he gets out free. He's in a new body. He could resurface. Um, that's, you know, tropey, but whatever. So that part was, just, I was just like befuddled of what his goal was. So, you and I are simpatico because that's exactly where I wanted to go next with this. I agree with you. That was, I mean, as there was a lot about the storyline that was really frustrating, but at a more philosophical fundamental level, I really had a problem with this. Although part of me wonders if, well, this just kind of proves, proves something about this character. And I'm probably giving the show too much credit, but probably there, there at this, this point for doing an episode of the eight frogs, you're giving it too much credit. <laughs> But in that Superman Lex scene that I was talking about earlier, uh, there's this idea that's discussed between them. And I can't remember. I don't know if Lex brings it up and says, like, you think I'm incapable of love or or Superman brings it up first. But they're talking about whether or not Lex is capable of love. And look, this ties into stuff we've <laughs> talked about on Smallville, too, right, where this really damaged guy, like, he just doesn't know how to – he doesn't know how to love. He never learned, right, based on the way he mm-hmm. was raised. And there's something very tragic about that. And so maybe all of this can kind of be attributed to that. But yeah, I agree. It doesn't track. And that was the same problem I had because, I mean, I don't want to repeat everything you said. You hit the nail on the head. And what I thought could have worked a lot better is not that I really want to deal with hitting our head and getting amnesia, but if after Lois hit her head, rather than becoming Wanda Detroit, what if she, for lack of a better description, reverted to her season one self or something like right, that? Where she goes after the Wanda Detroit thing, where like she doesn't know Clark because she hasn't met him yet and she's comfortable with other things. 
that would have been so much more believable than taking on her character. Because that Lois, for better or worse, was engaged to be married to Lex. And yes, at the end of season one, she had a change of heart. But, you know, that version of Lois had a romantic entanglement with Lex. Which would have been so much better having Lex back because that would have really thrown a wrench in everything. It would have been so much more dramatic and the stakes would have then been higher because of what you just said, where she actually had interest in marrying Lex. And what I would have done in that case as well is I would have, I wouldn't have made Lex know because that's the thing here. He knows explicitly that she has a brain injury and she thinks she's someone else, right? And so it's just, again, if the ultimate point is like, he's just a monster and he is incapable of love and he, you're right. I mean, it's not even that he just wants her body, right? Because he's putting this confused essence in a new body. So it's like, what, what does he really want here? And if the answer is like, oh, he just can't love, he's a monster. It's like, okay, I don't think that's really interesting. I think it's vastly more interesting if no, he, for as twisted as he is, there's some there's something real and genuine in terms of what he feels towards Lois. And if he encounters her and she is, you know, displaying some sort of affection to him because of this, you know, reverted state and he's not entirely clear, but he goes along with it, it plays so much better than him actually knowing that she's confused, knowing that she thinks she's someone else. And on top of that, at the end of the Double Jeopardy episode, he he puts her up to uh, you know, uh, pretending to Clark that she knows who she is and that she has just decided to be with Lex, um, which was one of the other major problems I had uh, was that Clark just lets her go. Yeah, yeah. Let's not even think about how they, if you watch the scene, they drive off and then they stop. It seems like he just like, <laughs> and then like turns and talks to her. Like they don't even drive and talk. Um, <clears throat> it was really just... There was like a lot of half-baked ideas. Um, but also like Lex is a wanted man. So it's like, yeah. even if, even if Clark, even if Clark believes. He visioned the tires so the car couldn't drive while the police show up. Yeah. Even if Clark believes what Lois is saying, that she has had a change of heart, she wants to be with Lex. That is utterly ridiculous in the context of the experiences they've had. But okay, fine. Clark is thrown for a loop, right? He doesn't know what to make of this. Lex is still wanted for a litany of crimes. Take the guy. It, it was just, and I know in fairness at the, the, the beginning of the next episode, he as Superman, like he's talking to Jonathan and Martha and he's like, why did I just let her go? So he articulates what I guess I was feeling at the end of that episode it was still annoying. Yes. Did you, did you watch Gotham the first mm-hmm. season? Do I watched that whole what, series, baby. When Gotham got to the ogre storyline was about the time that they found they were getting extended. So like they made like two or three more episodes in that storyline to stretch it out because they were preparing the end. And this is what this feels like, but yet there's no need for it. I get why in Gotham when they're like, all of a sudden they got an 18 episode order or whatever, or whatever it was, they got, you know, a larger order. So I understood that made sense. This does not make sense. This is like, you're just dragging it on because you, you don't know what else to do. And you're throwing every, like, you know, you, you kind of shorten, short change the return of John Shea by giving this convoluted thing with Wanda. Like, I'd much rather have been like the, 
hits her head, reverts to season one and kind of starts to pick up with Lex. And then she starts finding out like, wait, something's happened because I'm getting these thoughts, these memories, time has passed. Lex isn't the same person. And then uh, you get a really good conversation about who Lex is. And, um, you know, did, did you, did you watch WandaVision? Yeah. When Vision gives the speech about the boat being repaired, mm-hmm. you know, little by little, is it still the boat? That's a good talk and a good, you know, thing that you could go to with the idea of the mind switch, but not when you're switching Wanda's mind into a new body. Um, that's just creating a whole new person. Like that would have been kind of, I mean, if you want to get some sci-fi crazy, they go to put Lois's mind in this blonde and they put Wanda's mind in it. So the blonde wakes up as Wanda and then you still have Lois in her body as now Lois restored. So we create a whole new character, some sort of Frankenstein thing going on over here. We're going to go just, that's where we're going. I mean, let's, let's go there, but it just felt like a lot of half-baked ideas. And then when we finally get caught back up, like you said, after the five episode arc, we're going to wait till the next season. Because when I was watching these, I was just watching them straight. And then this episode starts and I look at the title. like That's not the one Anthony said. And then I'm like, wait a minute. And then I'm looking like, Oh, that's all the way in season four. That's right. And I'm like, so why did they do all this? So, yeah, I, well, I know. And we go, so right after this five episode <laughs> arc, there's a one-off where, uh, someone is shrinking people. It's a kind of a, just kind of an outlier. And then we have the four episode, uh, new Krypton arc from the end of season three into season Which, four. That is a great way of to delay the prolong- wedding. Yes. Delaying the wedding and building up tension, building up the world. Um, and having cl- it's, you know, Clark's like, so that, that makes sense why you would have pushed the wedding. Um, so, but yeah, we'll- it, and actually kind of along this line, you had said something earlier I wanted to, to jump on where if the a first wedding episode, I now pronounce you, if that had been the season three finale and they didn't know if they were coming back and they filmed two endings, one where they're happily married and the other where we see the, <clears throat> the, the frog go into Lois's mouth, then I get it, right? Like they figure that they're probably going to be done, but they need something to launch them into a new season if they get picked up. And so this is their alternate ending or something like that. But yeah, like where it is in the season and the series, it is, it's, it's just so baffling. It's, uh, it's really baffling. I will say one of my, I think there were a few highlights for me. I I will say this. There were a few highlights for me in this arc. Um, one of them was, uh, genuinely funny to me. It's, uh, in the double jeopardy episode before before Clark has realized that Lois is a clone but he knows that they didn't have sex on their wedding night like they were planning to right the clone comes back she's like oh i'm tired good night and he's like uh it's our wedding night and and that's the end of that and in, like <laughs> in a later scene he's talking to Jonathan and Martha about this and he's using the analogy of uh christmas tree lights <laughs> and he keeps saying he's like you know when you get your christmas tree lights and, you know, you're expecting this burst of warmth and love and, you know, like you stick it in, you plug it in and you're expecting this burst of warmth and love and nothing happens. And they're like, nothing happens. He's like, yeah, nothing happens. <laughs> it was genuinely funny to me. And I feel like, you know, my son's three, but when he's older and we eventually have 
<laughs> birds and the bees talk. I feel like I'm going to use uh, the burst of warmth and love as, <laughs> as part of the talk because it was fantastic. So let me tell you about Christmas lights. Yeah. Right? Let me, you know, let me, let me just sit down here and talk about this with you. I, I mean, I truly love that. I like the interaction with the parents. Um, you know, now uh, Perry, you know, he's going to marry them. I thought that was cool, but I, I just, sometimes the Elvis thing, how do you feel about the Elvis thing? I, I, uh, I don't need it. I don't need it. I don't mind it necessarily, but it's not, it's not like, that's the thing. I love, this is my favorite version of Perry White. Cause he's the, you know, I, I feel that in modern day, you need something that's different because Perry kind of is a third father to Lois and Clark. And there's so much Perryisms that were built into the J. Jonah Jameson that when modern artists see it, they feel like, oh, he's ripping off, you know, JJ. Um, which is completely wrong. That the this version of Perry being the warm, loving, strong man, I really like. But sometimes the Elvis thing, I'm just like, where did this come from? Whose idea was this? Because it's not in the comments. Like I know that he does the you know great shades of Elvis instead of the great Caesar's ghost. Um, but sometimes I'm just like when he goes, I'm ordained by the the church of like blue suede or whatever. I was like, that's a little much like, I don't know. It just, it could have been cool. If he's like, I got ordained, you know, for something else, you know, as a journalist and I've never brought it up and I'm like, that would have been cool. But you know, having to constantly bring up Elvis, I mean, talking to two guys who are sitting there talking about a fictional character, but you know, whatever. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, you know what? It, it feels very sitcom to me, you know, like in a sitcom, uh, now, having watched many of them for many years, you know, what you often find is that, you know, certain attributes get accentuated over the years, right? Because they, they get a laugh, they play, and then that becomes like the defining characteristic of the, you know, you know, using friends as an example. I mean, Monica was never, you know, she wasn't as shrill and OCD at the beginning of the show as she eventually became, right? Um, because that got laughs and then that became, you know, like core attributes of the character. But so I feel like that's kind of like what you're having here. It's like, you know, a little bit goes a long way and I definitely didn't need as much as they gave us, though I will say, and I, we're, we're just about at two hours. And I don't want to keep you here all night, but um, in the season three premiere, uh, this was another moment that like genuinely made me laugh out loud. Maybe you remember this. So this is after now Lois knows the secret um, and we're dealing with Bill Church. And his son with Intergang. So Peter Boyle from Everybody Loves Raymond yep. and Bruce Campbell is great. I'd forgotten about them in this. And I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. There's a lot of great actors that you don't really, like we said, Tony Curtis, we kind of just blew through that. But like people, like one that I was excited about that I, I won't spoil this, but whatever, who cares? I'm about to do an interview with this actor in January, but in, an, I think it was season two, maybe I have to go check. Chris Williams appears as a villain. If anyone's like Chris Williams, he is a big Superman fan that would later go on to be Black Lightning. So I remember watching that episode and seeing his name in the credits like, whoa. And I'm like, that's awesome. That's another Superman connection because then he would go on to voice John Henry Irons in the animated Death and Return films. And so, like you said, Bruce Campbell, uh, Peter Boyle, 
And people you don't even, you might, as an older person or being young then and older now, whatever, you might not know the actor, but you'll, you'll, you know them from, it's like, oh, I know that guy appear throughout this show and sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. I want to hear more about the Cress Williams thing after we record. That's very exciting. But no, you're totally right. I mean, look, in the in the Swear to God, This Time We're Not Kidding episode, the villain, the wedding destroyer is Delta Burke from Designing Women. Now, that yep. means nothing to me, but I, I, I see her name in the credits. I recognize her. I know like for people, especially in the 90s, right, who had, you know, there was this fandom for the show. It's like, oh, okay, like that's cool casting. I watched Designing Women with my grandma, you know, at times when I was out there, it was one of those shows that was on, you know, so- yeah, you're like, oh, that person. <laughs> exactly. But anyway, so in that season three premiere, long story short, uh, Lois and Clark and Perry, they're at this uh, this function and there's a bomb under the table and Clark can't get any closer because it, the bomb is regist- is uh, connected with his molecular structure and if he moves, it'll it'll go off. So he has to stay in place. Lois goes under the table and she's talking to him because she knows he can hear uh, with his super hearing. And she tells him, she's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to ask you questions. And if the answer is yes, say Lois. And if the answer is no, say Lane. But he has to say it loud enough from where he's standing that she can hear him under the table. And so as they're going through this process and she's like, you know, should I cut the blue wire? And he's like, Lane, that sort of thing. Do you remember the scene? No, I don't. And so, now I'm like, I'm going to go watch this. It's so funny because as this is unfolding, Perry comes up to Clark and he knows that he and Lois have been having some issues. And he's like, well, listen, son, you know, and he goes into his whole thing. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, Clark answering Lois goes, Lane. And he goes, oh, things are really bad. Referring to her by her last name. And then the next, <laughs> the next answer is a yes. So he goes, Lois. He's like, all right, that's better, son. And then he's going back and forth it's like, it's so funny i like stuff like that that's gen- good those are the characters that we want that's, that's what we want thing. and it's genuinely funny and i think what what i love about the the various tellings of the superman legend is especially when you can get stories moments whatever that only i mean it's great when stuff can work in any in any superman version but it's cool when there's stuff that like yeah that wouldn't necessarily i mean you could probably do something like that on small but like it works so perfectly in the context of this show. It's 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 wholly Tonally, Lois and yeah. Clark, right? And it's great. So stuff like that is is hilarious to me. I agree because there's certain things that work in that tonality that this show was that doesn't wouldn't transfer. You could maybe do something similar to it in Smallville, but it wouldn't be the same that we got here. So. Now, uh, again, as far as other potential highlights, I really did enjoy John Shea. I think to whatever extent this Wanda nonsense worked, I, I, he's, I mean, this guy, you know, I don't envy him having to work with that material, but uh, when we get, it's not even so much the stuff with him and Wanda, because that's that's pretty rough and gross. It's like, well, again, what, what, is, what are you doing here? But uh, the scenes between Lex and Clark and Lex and Superman, uh, I've talked now a few times about the showdown in the park at night where Superman and Lex are going at it. The two of them are so close. Their faces are so close to each other <laughs> when they're having this argument. It's like, you guys just make out and just get this over with here. It's like, they are so close. I like when he popped up on the back. He's like, ah, you're your number one nemesis or something like that. He said, uh, and he's like, starts to try to shoot him with the gun. And everyone's just standing there watching Lex like, ah, this. And my thought was, this is a powerful weapon. How many shots you got in this thing? Because like he shoots Superman, like shoots a trash can, like 
Like you're, you seem to be it cavalier with this thing. There, there's never really any mention of, uh, you know, what what the what power source is, you know, or any or if there's Maybe any sort of like equivalent. Yeah. <laughs> as a, as a modern audience, we just demand too much. We we ask too many questions. We don't just go. But we just accept and go. There's also the great moment uh, before the Wanda Detroit stuff. Or I guess it's already happened, but Clark and Lex don't know about it yet, and they're in Clark's apartment. And the two of them, Clark and Lex, start talking about Lois and they're like, they have a moment together where, and again, going back to what we were saying before, like Lex is talking, see this, okay, this is a knock against the show because in this scene, you see the things that Lex actually loves about Lois, about her personality, about her spirit. He literally articulates it in this scene. So that's why I think all this Wanda business, it just does not track it should have been him about him trying to bring her back out of the Wanda stuff and then maybe using that to his advantage. But no. Yeah. So that is kind of tough. And then uh, I think where it gets really interesting though, with Lex is the, the, the cloned Lois who's very childlike. I think Terry Hatcher had fun with that, uh, with, oh, with that I, role. I think she did like the clone story could have been something cool. Like right after they started dating or something, because I, like you said, I think Terry Hatcher has fun with it, getting to play the role. It shows a little bit more range and just the acting. Like, you know, you could have done something a little bit different with it. It's just where they put it and why and everything was just too much. But in order to, uh, you know, she thinks Lex can save her because she only has X number of days to live. She reveals to Lex that Clark is Superman, which is something she discovered, uh, you know, posing as as the real Lois. Um which side note, <laughs> again, I don't mean to keep bringing this back to the bedroom, but uh, earlier on in this arc, uh, she doesn't know that Clark is Superman, but she knows she's been sent by Lex, right? You know, this is all part of a plot and, and we want to destroy Superman. And so, you know, Clark thinks they're going to, to have sex and she says, you know, it would be great if Superman were here. And, you know, he blows her mind by transforming into Superman. But like, he's play- I loved it because he was playing along like, oh, yes. he can be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, th- that actually was funny and he did a good job with that. But I'm just thinking, it's like, what was her plan? Or like, what did, did she think that this is something that Clark would, that Clark would be like, oh, yeah, you're right. Like, I'll call Superman and I'll invite him into our bedroom. It was so weird. Like, what was the, I don't know, what was the plan here? But anyway. So this clone Lois, she's not going to make it. She's talking to Lex. She thinks that Lex can save her. And the only thing that she has to offer of value is the knowledge, (laughs) the secret that Clark Kent is Superman. And so for the only time in the show, because we won't see John Shea again, we'll hear his voice in season four uh, in an episode, but this is his final physical appearance on the show. But he learns that Clark is Superman and we get a couple of scenes between them where all the barriers are down and like you said, you mentioned the scene where he shows up on Clark's balcony and he uses this molecular disruptor weapon and he really has Clark at his mercy. <coughs> and he makes Clark, I thought the two of them here, Shay and Kane, were great. I really liked the, the between the two of them where he wants Clark to beg and Clark won't initially until Lex turns the gun on the Kents. And that's when, you know, and, and again, like it just rang true where Clark's like, I, I, don't do it, I, I beg you. I'm just like, you know how much better it would have been if it was just a little bit more simple of Lex showed up with a chunk of kryptonite and a gun? Like, to where, (laughs) like, Clark's weak and he could shoot Clark because he has, like, a kryptonite bullet. I'm fine with, you know what I'm saying? 
or just the fact that Clark has kryptonite radiation and a gun bullet actually pierces his skin. And then he turns the gun to his family. Like the drama feels more believable than him holding this like giant, like looks like a flashlight, industrial flashlight, molecular disturber. Um, you know, just having a little bit of like with the props, how you can make the tension feel stronger. Um, especially because I said Shay's doing great. Like he is delivering this BS storyline amazingly. And I feel like we're shortchanging him by giving him this material for his last appearance. I agree. And the, uh, just from a prop standpoint, it, it looks like it has no weight, this thing, like you would imagine this would be, have some heft to it, but it doesn't really seem to, but I I love what I, what I did like about this was, you know, Lex says something to the Clark along the lines of like, you know, all, all these years. And I didn't really even know you at all. Like he, and, and and even in that earlier scene at the park between Clark and Lex, uh, you know, Lex articulates the idea of like, wh- what is one of us without the other? And, you know, it's really getting at this fundamental conflict between these two guys. Uh, and and I do think we we get a nice payoff uh, in the big climax underground when, uh, you know, Lex, long story short, Lex tries to get Wanda to use the gun to kill Superman because he thinks that will sever these you know, any doubts or anything that she has, because she's having flashes of her old life and she's, she's very confused. And Lex figures <coughs> if, if she kills Superman, that'll be the end of it. Uh, but she can't do it. And, and she ends up firing on one of the support beams and the whole thing is coming down. And uh, the clone, of course, has, has her moment of heroism and uh, she and Lex are fighting over the, this molecular disruptor ray and it, it impacts both of them and they're both lowest clone dies uh, and Lex is lying there dying and he's holding on to Lois, the real Lois, right? And she's still conflicted. She thinks she loves him. She thinks he's this guy, Kent. And Superman is weakened, so he can't just grab Lois and take her out of there. And and he says to, this was probably my one of my favorite moments of this entire arc uh, where, where Clark slash Superman says to Lex, it's like, if you, like you say that you love her, like this is your opportunity, prove it. If you love her, let her go. Or did you want me to beg again? Oh, I thought that was, and Lex does let her go. Uh, so there were some good, there were some seeds of good ideas here. And I, I like the way that played out as annoying and frustrating and infuriating as this arc was. I did. I enjoyed that moment. I really would like to dig in if I ever had an interview with like Robert Singer or something like, <clears throat> where did this come from? Was there like, a storyline plan, then you inserted other things because like you said, there's a lot of really good, like there an idea here that then feels like someone else put, they Josh Whedon this stuff, you know, they're like, we're <laughs> just, uh, too soon, too soon. Um, uh, but no, like they just, they changed it, but we still have another episode to talk about. <laughs> uh, let me, let me, I, the main question I want to ask. So we, you know, cut ahead to season four, we've had our new Krypton arc, which, you know, we'll, talk about on some podcasts at some point, but swear to God, this time we're not kidding. You know, look, I, I know a good time to talk about that one. As do I buddy. We'll get there. <laughs> uh, but so in this episode, even in the title, you know, there, the, 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 the show itself is having some fun with the fact that, you know, we had been down this road. There was a lot of backlash. Um, you know, the plot of this is that Lois and Clark, they're planning to now get married for real this time. You know, Lois in particular is worried that something will go wrong. Of course, something does, uh, Delta Burke's character, Myrtle Beach, a.k.a. the Wedding Destroyer, escapes from prison and and sets out to uh, ruin the wedding. Um, but they, 
do end up as a married couple by the end of this. And I mean, we could talk about the plot of the episode as, as much as you like, but I guess I'm mostly curious what your take was on how and by whom <laughs> Lois and Clark are ultimately married in this episode. Uh, one question. Did Delta Burke appear before this episode? Okay. No, because I checked on IMDb because there's all I didn't rest- think so. So the whole I- thing is that Lois and Clark were the ones who put her away the first time. And, you know, I'm watching it. I'm saying to myself, like, I don't remember a, an earlier Wedding Destroyer episode. I knew there wasn't one in season one, uh, having just rewatched. I'm like, I don't think she's been in this before, but they keep talking about it like she was. But I looked up on IMDb. This was her only appearance. See, that's okay. That's you're on the same page. I was, I was like, wait a minute. Did this happen? And I was like, does this happen early in season three or season two? I'm like, I don't remember because that's a guest star that I would remember because I knew her well enough to have like that flag go off. Um, so right there, this was their chance to do the really good insulary episode that they tossed away again. <laughs> um, this is a chance they, with a, a, you know, they have this strong villain who is against weddings that they try to retcon like she's been there before. That doesn't work. It would have been better if it had been somebody else who was, you know, maybe obsessed with Lois or Clark. Maybe more Clark, because I feel like there's always someone obsessed with Lois. But then we meet Mike, who I feel like was an idea that never got flushed out, where they didn't really cash in on what the idea was going to be. Because, you know, it's like, one, his name should have been Jerry. Just saying, okay? Um, Two, he kind of comes off as he's this like I was thinking he's going to be like a Mr. Mixelpidelic type thing where he's trying to help him out because he seems like he knows everyone, but nobody remembers meeting Mike until they see Mike again. Um, so it's definitely a very half brain idea that just is what the heck out there. And then they get married as this like, they start flying and they end up on this island and everybody shows up thanks to Mike and everybody knows Mike and he's like supposed to be like an angel or something. I mean, come on. I I don't get it. Like, I just, I don't like, you could have just given a really good episode that if you wanted that really warm, happy feeling, almost like, you know how you go back and you watch Christmas episodes for that, Every time of year, you you could maybe like for your case, watch the wedding of Lois and Clark before you watch your wedding video before your anniversary, like just bringing, you know, something special. And they still don't deliver an episode that just felt like our characters got married. Mm-hmm. You know, the way it ends where Delta Burke ruins their wedding and they're not wedding married, it would have been much sweeter if they just did something between the two of them. <clears throat> And they talk to each other and they decide to get married. Um, or Clark picks her up and flies her somewhere to someone he knows. And it's just them like on a hillside with a priest or something. And they get married with kind of like, you know, the office where Jim and Pam go off and get married and then do the wedding, having already been married between the two of them to appease everybody else. Um, but this whole Mike thing just feel like it was. Was it a reference to Mike Carlin? You know, um, it just felt 
And if the actor maybe had been like a, a kind of like a wink, like it was a DC editor or a previous actor who had played somebody in, you know, um, a Superman property. But by that time, I think all of them had been used. Um, well, no. Well, yes and no. Uh, Jack Larson, I feel like, would have been a perfect choice for something like this. They would use him a few episodes later for the Brutal Youth episode where the villain was stealing people's uh, life yep. force. Uh, look, I'm happy that they got married. Um, as far as how it happened, I, I remain to this day a little bit mixed on this. So, yes, you definitely get the sense that although they don't explicitly say it, Lois starts to say it and then sort of like trails off. But uh, the implication very clearly seems to be that Mike is a guardian angel of sorts and he's there for all of them at moments when they need a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of peace. And Maybe if it had been an actor or someone who had appeared in other episodes or we had gotten some sort of where we cut away to different times. It was Mike, but it was a different actor as if like, oh, that hot dog salesman in season one was actually Mike, you know, and it was, or, you know, it'd been great if it was the actor who played Jimmy Olsen in season one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I like, don't I know you? That's the yes, thing. I, I think for sadly, you know, I looked the actor who played Mike, he passed away like the next year. Oh, oh very wow. sad. But this was his only appearance in the show. I agree with you. I think that for this to work, if you, I, I also remain a little bit mixed. I mean, this is a show, of course, that's dealing with, with sci-fi and, and magic at times, but to now enter the realm of the spiritual and the heavenly, it's, I don't know. Part of me feels like, okay, this is a little bit too much, but to, to not spend time developing it at all. And that's the thing. But, I think to your point, if they had cast someone recognizable either someone from the show previously or someone again i think jack larson i think this would have been a perfect <laughs> a place for, my, for jack I was larson i was thinking he came before this but yeah if it had been jack larson because then you get a little bit of a wink like yes or if they had actually seeded this in even just a few episodes leading up to it where there were moments every now and then where this guy was in the background and gave some words of encouragement did you watch oh, look people like this guy watches a lot of television did you did you watch sons of anarchy uh yeah okay so you'll know what i'm talking I still, about i still cannot watch the last episode without crying it's it's, it's especially funny. as a father it is such a for anyone who hasn't watched sons it is so good but really quickly there is this mysterious woman and i don't want to spoil too it's such a great you guys gotta watch it uh there's this mysterious woman who appears at pivotal moments throughout the show from the beginning all the way to the end and it's one of those things where there's clearly a plan here. And when, when you see, especially when you get to that final episode, it's like, okay, like she, this, you see the role that she served and she's been there throughout. If they had done, if they had had enough forethought to do something like this with Mike or, and, or if they had cast someone who we would instantly be, oh man, there, that's what they're doing. Then I think it would have worked, but the way it plays, it's I like the idea that someone out there is looking out for Lois and Clark and they're giving oh, been like, this where moment. were you last time, dude? That's the thing. Oh, I did think it was funny. Mike said something along the lines of we're, we're always listening. We're not always able to answer right away or the way you want, but we're always, I feel like that was the writers talking to the audience and basically being like, Hey, we hear you. <laughs> we can't always, we can't always do what you want. We know you didn't like the last time we attempted a wedding. The, oh, the other thing I just wanted to say, tying this back to our earlier conversation about the series finale of Lois and Clark. I remember at the time 
not knowing the behind the scenes stuff, not knowing that they were planning for a season five, the baby was going to be royalty. I remember thinking that the baby was a gift from Mike, essentially this heavenly gift because now there was precedence for it that there was that, you know, so that would have been much better. Like, you know, watch out for this child love Mike. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess you can watch, look, you can watch that series finale and talking about headcanon, you can make that your ending. And there's, it's, you're really not given anything other than this is the child is for you. So, you know, you can look at it and think, okay, maybe this was a gift from above. I mean, I can write, I'll say here and write a whole storyline where Clark's raising this kid and the kids potentially can be like the greatest super villain of all time. But if he's raised by Superman, maybe he's not going to be. And that could be dramatic and very interesting. I know. Now, did you like, did you at least like the vows that Clark and Lois exchange? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I thought, I thought the acting, the chemistry that they brought to the wedding was exquisite of just personal and you felt it. It's just one of those, like the, the, the setup was weird and it would have been much better if it had maybe just been dialed into just Lois and Clark. Um, so yeah, I, I felt like it, it went a little just bizarre. I'm like a wedding episode doesn't have to be that complicated like you know you do you do, like you said you build up put a lot of action in the episode before put a lot of ap- action in the episode because you'd have more fun with building up the wedding and then as they're leaving you know they're there you end it with them leaving the next episode starts where they're in their hotel or whatever then something blows up and he's got to go and he comes back and then they start to start that moment again and something happens again and he leaves and he comes back, you know, and he brings flowers. And then Lois is like, they're starting again. And then something happens and he leaves. And then when he comes back, Lois is like working on a story, you know, like that's the realistic tension that they would have as Superman and Lois in a relationship compared to eating a frog. Again, I think the the comics did it right because right Leading into the wedding, we had the final night crossover issue. So there was a lot going on. Clark's losing his <coughs> powers. And then right after the wedding album, they're on their honeymoon. They're in Hawaii. <laughs> That's the destination of choice. And we, you know, we get caught up in this whole, uh, you know, th- this whole plot and Clark gets shot and abducted and you you launch right into a- an action packed story. So I-, I think that would have served them much better. It's kind of baffling to me that they didn't do a honeymoon a, a true honeymoon episode or arc here. Again, we had the time travel immediately after, and then they're back in the office. So you could have had something as fun as Clark creates a wedding ring special that on their wedding night, he presents to us. It's blue kryptonite that he puts on because he wants to be vulnerable to her. And then something happens. Hijinks. He can't get it off. Like the ring is stuck. And so now it's Lois and Clark doing something he can't become Superman and save the day. Like, I think we just pitched ourselves as writer for a show that's been over for several decades. I know. Look, and <laughs> hindsight's twenty twenty, but it's still, uh, some of these choices were were definitely kind of baffling. And I think you also look at the the second wedding episode and it it further proves why they either should have just postponed getting them married altogether or just had them get married in season three because they all see this is the thing they already had a wedding episode. You didn't make it special, like 
yes, your character's in being married, but you built that so much up and you did so much of like the wedding before that when they actually do get married, you're like, I've already kind of seen this and you know, like you've already, that emotion's already been processed through you. And you're just like, it, and now if they had done something like we've said, where they went back and it was very small bottled in a church and it was just two people, you know, about the, the jitters of getting it right this time, having it actually happen. And then it goes off and like, you know, in perfect comic book world, what I would write is they're in the church and then you see things are happening where the flash is stopping it. Batman's stopping it. Wonder Woman's stopping it. Like everybody's pitching in extra so that Superman is never alerted to what's going on to give him the perfect day for his wedding. You know, of course, in the show, we hadn't introduced those characters or anything, but that'd be the idea of like, this is Clark's time. And, you know, the, you know, there's not like, oh, let's go watch the episode to, you know, Lois and Clark. It's a great field. You don't have that. So. I think by all accounts, and I, I would venture to say, I mean, I've not come across interviews with the writers or with the cast about this specifically. I doubt there are many defenders of this. I think most would agree it was a misstep, probably the biggest misstep in in the show. But even even within that, there were still some some enjoyable moments, which we talked about. And I and on a positive note, those season two episodes and early season three episodes that I rewatched with Clark asking her out, the first date, them getting together, the proposal, who's asking Clark or Superman, all of that. That I think that's kind of the sweet spot of this series for me. I think that's where the series was at its best, where the relationship was really developing, but they were still getting to know each other. And there was still the secret that was then no longer a secret. And I think that's when the show was at its best, though still plenty to enjoy both before and after. But I just really enjoyed, and this has been an insanely long week leading up to our recording now. And I really had, I really had fun though, rewatching those episodes. And again, overall, I think Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman, I'm glad that it exists for anyone who hasn't watched it. I really do encourage it. Feel free to reach out. I do have, there are specific episodes. I would say if you really want to get the best of the series, you should watch these. So feel free to reach out. I'd be happy to provide that list. Uh, for whatever that's worth to you, but not that I'm expecting anything. I'm just saying, if, 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 my opinion-wise, that's what I. Mean. Yeah, <laughs> no charge. There's no charge for this. But uh, again, it's it's worth checking out if you haven't. They're all on HBO Max, and I cannot tell you how much fun I had. As frustrating as some of those episodes were, I really had fun talking about this. So I thank you. And I know I'm sort of winding down, but was there anything else with the show generally or these episodes that we didn't talk about that you want to talk about? I think no, and I'll say that because I feel like anything else we'll say, we might be here for a little bit longer. (laughs) But I think in the context of this conversation, I think we've done a very good job of hitting at who they were, the journey they led them to being married, how the show in a way let them down when it came to their wedding, then tried to build it back up and kind of let them down again, and then let them down by the way it ended. And when the whole show, if you look at it as a journey of two people meeting, falling in love, their obstacles, and then coming together, and then 
you know, I think having them married should have been the end of season three, start of season four. Season four should have been, you know, the into the marriage life and then started to show things are great, but then develop them into things, you know, the problems that they can have and then how they overcome those obstacles and how, you know, if you love somebody, you can work through things and what that would mean for them. Cause I think that's relatable to us as people, as married people and the things that we deal with in life. And I feel that the show did a great job building up the courtship, the relationship, the dating and how those dynamics change and affects people. And then when we got married, um, there's a lot more to dig there that they started to kind of fizzle out and, you know, we only get the what the half season of them married and then it's over. So, yeah. No, that's a fair assessment. Well, again, really, thank you, Tyler. I really, I really genuinely enjoyed this. And I hope that everyone checks out the Krypton Report podcast available on all major podcast platforms on social yep. media. You're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Did I miss anything or anything else you want to add? No, that sounds about right. <clears throat> Email. You know, cryptonreport at gmail.com. Cool. Yeah, I hope people check out your podcast. I've been honored to be a guest on it. And, uh, you know, you know, you really, you cover a lot and you've, you know, you got your finger on the pulse. And when, you know, there's new news and stuff, you'll give your take on it, uh, which is really cool. So uh, I hope people will, uh, will check out Krypton Report. Uh, so thank you, Tyler. Thank you, audience. Next week, it is the grand finale of Death Till Wedding, where we talk about the uh, road from breakup to wedding uh, in the pages of the comics during the Triangle Era. So like I said, I already recorded it. It's a great episode. Uh, and we really bring this event uh, to a strong close. So I hope you will join us for that next week. And as always, it's about what you do. It's about action. Support the show and receive exclusive additional content, including my DC Movie Rewatch podcast at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato. Thank you to all patrons for enabling me to produce this show. Also, be sure to explore the other shows within the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network, which is home to Digging for Kryptonite, another exciting episode in The Adventures of Superman, Summoning the Zords, and My Comic Shop History, all hosted by yours truly. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Visit flatsquirrelproductions.com for more. Thank you all. <laughs>